Coming up on this episode of the podcast Under the Stairs, we continue our look into the summer top 10 series of Teapot shows, looking at the top 10 horror movies of the 1970s. Up on this episode, 1976, with my guest Andy Blockley. But before we get into that, it's year four, motherfuckers. You know what that means? This time, it's war. Warning. The podcast under the stairs is not safe for work. We'll feature movie spoilers and language which most listeners may find offensive. Brought to you in conjunction with Legion Podcast Network. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 119. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and welcome to the show. Episode 119 sees us return after a week doing some goofy shit and celebrating some anniversaries and such like. We are back to do our top 10 of 2017. The summer is almost over. It's almost a uh, a distant memory and if you live in Scotland it never really arrived um, but that's fine we can live with that we're Scots we're used to it the rest of the world has had some crazy crazy weather and I just want to take a couple of seconds at the start of this episode to say that all our thoughts and our hearts go out to those in Houston Texas who have suffered tremendous hardship with flooding and the after effects of some really really terrible weather so if any of our listeners are out Texas way um, our, our thoughts and prayers are with you at the moment Switching it back to Podcast Under the Stairs news, we are doing 1976, we are closing in, this is the last run of shows, we are a couple of years left uh, before we start looking at round tables and creating our definitive list, our top 10 horror movies of the 1970s. Thus far, some incredible movies have went through and it just gets harder as we head towards the end of this decade. 1976 is absolutely 100% no slouch and as such I got a really good guest to join me on this episode. So after the break I'll be joined by Andy Blockley, um, my longtime podcast compadre, to work through another 10 movies representing this decade. I just want to take a bit of time at the start of this episode to thank everyone for the well wishes, everyone for the congratulation messages and everyone who really got into the spirit of our four year anniversary show. Um, It is, like I said on that episode, crazy to believe that this podcast has been around for four years, that this will technically be the 226th podcast under the stairs episode ever recorded 
In my mind, that's incredible. I can't believe that we got this far and it wouldn't have been without you guys' help. And I said it many times on that show and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. We will continue to put out as much quality content as possible for you guys to enjoy, entertain you and hopefully, hopefully bring the discussion of fantastic movies from the 1970s through on this list. Because that's been the one thing that's been really interesting from the feedback from you guys out there is that my 70s list has really pushed people to check out movies that they hadn't seen in a while and some movies they'd never seen before, good or bad, the experience of checking out some some horror movies and maybe rounding off that decade and your knowledge is never a bad thing at all, I think. So yeah, that was the intro to this episode. I wanted to keep it nice and short um, and um, we have a ton of show to go. Me and Andy Blockley talk ad nauseum about movies at the best of times, and when you get us on a podcast, chances are it's going to run long. And this episode is no exception. 1976 is the year. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the intro to our Summer Teapot's Top 10 series. And when I return, I'm with Andy Blockley. I'm going to be right back, right after this. Hey, did you guys ever notice that podcasts talk about the same movies over and over again? Yeah, as much as I love Friday 13th. I don't need another show telling me how good it is. Exactly. Same thing goes for Halloween. It's a great movie, but come on, there's other stuff out there. There should be a show that highlights movies that everyone else seems to skip over. Like, oh, I always wanted to talk about Absentia. And I want someone to cover the room. The Skeleton Key's a good one. Then let's just do one. We can call it The ABCs of Hidden Horror. And we'll go through the alphabet talking about our favorite horror flicks that get ignored. Great idea! I know what my first one's going to be. Join Brian, Dave, and me, Jamie, for the ABCs of Hidden Horror on the Horrorphilia Network, where we might discuss some of your neglected favorites or introduce you to something new. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here. You know the thing about a shark, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes like a doll's eyes. Welcome back. So another year has come. We've already done. I can't believe we're we're past the halfway mark now, ladies and gents. We have trundled in to 1976, and the lists just keep getting harder and harder, and the titles keep getting bigger and bigger. And at this point, I need a I need a new voice. I need to pick up the pace in the second half of this decade. I need someone with a bit of swagger. Someone with a bit of a bit of an attitude, someone with an English accent, and there's only one podcaster that I know that has all of them 
in equal measure is of course my, my very good buddy, my co-host over at Opera Omnia, uh, former co-host from Doing the Nasty, which is getting a whole hell of a lot of love. It's having its second win right now. Um, is my very good friend, Mr. Andy Blockley. Hi, Andy. How's it going? How are you doing? I'm, I've got my flares. <laughs> I've grown a moustache. I'm smoking a cigarette with the holder. I mean, I'm wearing a lot of brown. I'm all set. I, the thing is, like people out there is like, ah, oh, Andy's joking. I would not, I would not put it past you to have yeah. done all of that. I've got, got a brown vest on and flared shorts. So <laughs> it's the summer vibe. Summer 70s. Oh, man. You, out of everyone that I pitched this, um, truth be told, you were the last person I locked in for, for, for my guests on this one. And of all the guests that I locked in, you were the most excited um, out of all, everyone. I mean, you were just like, yeah, that because I sent you the thing saying this is my idea this is what I want to do and you were like and and there's a guest spot for me yes or or, or else Duncan why would you be sending this to me a yeah, cruel joke sir <laughs> why would you say this to me when you know I will kill you <laughs> yeah it's my favourite decade and uh, I've said this before I mean I did a, a long seems a long time ago now big horror and little podcast we did a super 70s few episodes where we kind mm-hmm. of handpicked some lesser known um 70s movies so it's great yeah i really do think it's my favorite decade of horror but looking into this more and looking at the lists that have been coming up it's interesting conversation that we'll probably have when it comes to the round table was the 70s a particularly great decade or was it just that some absolutely incredible movies came out in the 70s i was thinking the 70s was almost like the right first time kind of decade for movies mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you've got jaws did a shark film there's never been a better shark film since you've got the exorcist has never been a better possession film since i don't think there's ever been a better zombie film since dawn of the dead it's almost like they got it right the first time in the 70s um yeah but there's also a lot of shites so. <laughs> there, there, there is and but i think there's i've always said this there's a, a degree of romanticism that comes with looking back on something fondly you know i mean that that way where you like if any, if you go on holiday, Andy, and it's you know the the weather's maybe not that great, but you, I don't know, you fell in love on that holiday. Chances are, when you come to tell the stories of that holiday to your friends years later, you're not going to talk about how bad the weather is. No, you're going to focus on the good thing that happens because that's no one wants to reminisce over the bad things. People want to focus on the good things, and that happens with movies as well. And you you are right. For I, I would argue that the seventies. As a decade, um, like what I found interesting about this is there, there is very much, uh, right when it comes to the debate, we have to debate down these movies, but I can discount movies pretty quick. You know what I mean? I can be like, right, that's definitely not a top five. It's like Guess year. Who when you're yeah. flicking them down. <laughs> it's really, really, really quick. Yeah. I actually think next year I've already threatened to do the 1980s. I think it's going to be harder to do the 80s. I genuinely do because I know there's at least four or five years in there where I'm like that. There's easily six, seven movies that I fucking worship. Are they of the quality and standard of the you know the heavy hitters of the 1970s? Probably not. But are they movies that I adore? Yes. Yeah, that's um, the thing. Like with the with the 80s, it's weird because like the 70s there's there's a hell of a lot of quality, but the 80s you've got the quantity. And you've got these great movies alongside that aren't necessarily, like you say, they don't hold up because an 80s film is always going to look painfully 80s. Where for me, a yeah. 70s film, 
and I don't really know why, but they don't seem to age for me. Uh, they almost seem quite timeless, yeah. whereas 80s, there's, there's quite often painful 80s tropes in 80s movies that you don't yeah. seem to get in the 70s. Obviously, you've got the clothing. But it's I look- a stereotype thing as well, yeah. isn't it? Because like, the 80s was when, like, especially with slasher movies, right? you've got to have the dumb jock, you've got to have the, the bimbo, you've got to have the virtuous girl and all the rest. And these stereotypes get really locked in in that decade. Yeah. And that's what age. I think that's one of the big things that ages them, is that they lean really into it. All right, so you're, you're a kid that's into to kind of goth punk music um, <laughs> like that chicken uh, Friday part 5 so you're going to look like the most caricaturized version of that yeah and that dates it straight away while in the 70s for whatever reason even though the clothing's a bit out of date and the language is a bit goofy at times um, for the most part it's ordinary folk doing ordinary folk and that I think that's where the 70s kind of works for me there's no exceptional characters a lot of what happens to people are just that happens to regular people the 80s um, was wacky there was it a, was there it really was, was. was annoying wackiness in the 80s colors as well very very colorful and loud and abrasive but that was that's essentially what that decade was you know what i mean and this the 70s you're kind of coming out of the post hippie movement um you know the 60s didn't change the world, you know what I mean? Everyone didn't, war didn't stop at the end of the 60s like they kind of hoped. Everyone sure. wasn't just like out their face on LSD and shagging constantly. Um, you know, the, the fallout of that is, you know, people found that your real life still existed and people still had to work and do jobs and look out for themselves and their family and all the rest. And there's a there's a weird kind of melancholia that comes out in the, the early 70s which turns into a complete backlash by the mid 70s of right you, the horror just changes horror becomes real yeah um, and they, they grimmed it all you know sharks will come after you you know um, the the and the exorcist right you know as a, a possession but for all intents purposes you know that could be you can look at that as a, a kind of a scathing indictment of the the breakdown of the family values um you have stories of you know in this decade you have the the, the rise of kind of rape revenge a uh, home invasion you know all these things which are grounded pretty much solely in reality you know who's who's the worst enemy of all well man is the worst enemy Uh, nature is the worst enemy Um, and by the time we moved to the 80s it's kind of went well it's you know it's kind of supernatural it's killers that can't be killed haircuts are the enemy clothes (laughs) is the enemy (laughs) music is the enemy yeah Um, but you take take this wicked twist and I think you're right on, on quite a lot of counts when you see it will be really interesting when sitting with a group of horror fans that are all passionate about the 1970s, having all worked through two years each, having listened to other shows, having watched a ton of movies, to get to that point and actually say, well, was it that every year was just an exceptional year for horror, or was it that there was one or two really, really great movies each year, but... It seems that way. I'd be interested to know um, whether a lot of people can, like, obviously you're releasing the lists in advance so people can Mm -hmm. watch the films and hear us talking about them. Is it going to be that most people are going to go, well, them two are definitely going through from this year? Do you know what I mean? Like, I know there's going to be some years where there's going to be maybe four, um, but I think maybe people from this show, I imagine, have already decided what they probably think we're going to put through. So it will be interesting to know, you know, to see if we do end up putting those two through, the two sort of heavy hitters. 
there's, I mean, there's there there are a couple of years that, like I've already said, 1978 poses the biggest nightmare for me ever. Like it's brutal. That, I'll be like watching uh, England in a like, penalty shootout, listening to that episode because <laughs> you know what film I want to. I to be honest, you know what film I kind of want to win the whole fucking thing. Um, but we'll see, I guess. Yeah, I, I, but you, you were going to come to that. That there are certain years in here where there is easily three or four movies that generally would make my ultimate top ten list from from nineteen seventies horror cinema you know yeah. if I, I didn't impose this rule and it was why i imposed the rule was to say basically it, it's not fair that as a decade we lean too heavily into one year and not the full decade as a whole and the only fair way to do that is actually force you to only pick two movies mm. um but as a result of that there are going to be notable absent absences of huge titles come the end of this and 1978 is going to be the one that i i guarantee is going to set, set a fucking an inferno on my Facebook group page because you know you cannot have um, all the titles that came out in that year in a position where you're picking two and leaving out one noticeably great one and I, even myself and my guest I think it's Court that's that's landed with 78 me and Court I don't think we universally agree on pretty much everything I don't think we're going to agree on what two go through um, and that one's going to turn into your children, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to turn into a good old barn burner of a conversation. And um, it's it basically will come down to who can sell their choice better to the other one. Um, and yeah, and that might actually happen on this episode as well, Andy, because you um, cho- well didn't choose. You got you got selected 1976. Yeah, and we have another ten movies to work through on this episode. We will be discussing Alice, Sweet Alice, Burnt Offerings, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, The Omen, Carrie, Doctor Black and Mister Hyde, To the Devil a Daughter, Who Can Kill a Child, and The House with laughing windows and the tenant so just to put things in perspective here um we have kind of proto slasher um in fact a couple of proto slashers we've still got another hammer horror movie in there we've got some black exploitation we've got um a jalo we've got a kind of spanish fucking make your testicles go into your stomach terrify you forever having children sort of movie (laughs) and and Polanski's represented in this this decade as well before we go into possessed houses and you know um, the devil actually Satan makes an appearance on this episode or or his only begotten son Um, and then Brian De Palma also decides to to roll in with Stephen King at his back nonetheless so it's it's uh, it's going to be a jam-packed episode full of things now Andy what we have done on these shows thus far um, for for precision to be concise and to have our listeners have the opportunity to maybe hear the synopsis and a bit of information on a movie they haven't watched yet from this list that might prompt them to go away I know some of our listeners are actively going through the lists prior to the show's dropping but that you know is is not practical for everyone not everyone can sit down and rattle through 10 movies or in excess of five if you're if you're kind of clued up to do this um you had to though uh, this is quite interesting because you supplied your list of five to me and i was like that yeah, yeah. andy's pretty much picked about three movies on that list would definitely make 
you know, my five if I, had, if I was forced to do five. And I was like, that, right, cool. Right, here is a list of five. To which you came back and said, I have five movies to watch. And I was like, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so b- before we go and talk about the movies, what was that experience like? You know, like, uh, without, like, actually talking about the movie content themselves, what was it like sitting down and watching five completely different movies from well, one decade? It's funny you should say because... I kind of am going into this and I can only really put a movie through if it holds up by today's standards. I think Mm -hmm. that's kind Mm -hmm. of how I'm looking at this. You know, if a film's really dated and, you know, and you watch it today and you go, oh God, like it's really creaky. Like it's not shot that well. The acting's not very good. It's a bit fucking ropey. Can't possibly put it through. So as I'm watching these movies and kind of going, well, it's got to hold up by today's standards what better test than to watch a film for the first time in 2017 than to see yeah. if it holds up today so it was great i mean i'd heard of a few of them i know didn't you um you and johnny crew do dr black and mr black? <laughs> it's like a it's the ultimate guilty guilty pleasure pleasure i mean but it's like probably my favorite black exploitation horror movie because it's just it's got the best trailer ever the trailer is fucking amazing right um if you've not seen it when when i finish here uh record me we will we will listen to the the audio from the trailer, but it's it's like the Black Dynamite trailer. Oh god, uh, yeah, it's identical to it. In fact, I think Black Dynamite's trailer is basically a rip off of Dolomite and Doctor Black and Mister Hyde. It's fucking amazing. Awesome. So yeah, that that, that was always going to get picked from me. I was like that shit. That was nineteen seventy six. Yeah, right? Right. I'm sure it's sacrilege, and I'm sure I'm dropping a movie that everyone on the page will be like, I cannot believe he did not pick this movie. But it's my fucking list, and it's my fucking show. <laughs> so hey, what you like? Suck it. <laughs> Um, but it was great now what kind of struck me is just what a, what a variety of films so you've got this really kind of wild black exploitation movie um, which is obviously a take on kind of the old story of Jacqueline Hyde um, to the Devil of Daughter which is like a sort of a hammer horror film about the devil which is incredibly risque for the year some of the stuff that's in that it's kind uh-huh. of quite astonishing um, obviously The Tenant which is Polanski I'd seen Rosemary's Baby I really like that film Yeah. Um, so I thought great another bit of Polanski um, Who Can Kill a Child which is uh Sort of what what well, it was a children of the corn basically ripped it off. Yeah, they? escaped escaped the video nasty list. I don't know how. I don't. I think that's one of the things I'm going to say about it as well. There, there's quite a few actually in here that really would not have looked out of place on the nasties list. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got a bit of a jello. What could what could it be without a jello in there? And I was winding you up earlier. Saying, well, <laughs> you son of a bitch. If we're putting murder mysteries on here, I'm bringing iron side to the table. I was going to say, if we're, if we're taking it, Murder Mysteries, Alice, sweet Alice can go. Yeah, I know, that is a bit of a jello as well. And it? and the town that dreaded sundown can go. All right, then we'll leave it in. Let's uh... <laughs> <laughs> Let he without sin and he cast the first stone. I, know, I don't like a hypocrite, so I can't say nothing. <laughs> so that's, that's so cool, though, because like, I've been going through... There's been some movies on this this list that my guests have raised that I've been like, right, I've not seen, and some that I haven't seen in years that I've had to go back over for this one. This one was actually surprisingly okay for me. Um, of of the ones that I was like, that I really need to see again. Alice, sweet Alice, I ha- I hadn't seen in years. Mm. Um, the Omen, I hadn't seen in years either, but that's a movie I know fairly 
inside out. I checked out the tenant again because any excuse to watch Polanski. Yeah. Uh, who can who can kill a child? I hadn't seen in years either. Um, and the house will laugh in windows. I hadn't seen in a, a very long time as well. Everything else was fairly fresh in my mind, and it finally gave me an excuse to break out the the old burnt offerings Blu-ray that Arrow put out, which is pretty fucking incredible. Okay. So it's a high, high recommend for me in terms of the actual picture qualities pretty stunning on it so yeah i mean that that is one that i considered actually um purchasing especially now i've kind of watched it again thinking yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's that's a really smart movie if you've not seen it i mean that's one obviously we'll get to it but you don't want that spoiling um I yeah really need to watch that if you haven't watched that movie um get it watched before you listen to this episode because i think it is worth talking about the ending because i think for me that's one of the selling points it's kind yep. of how terrifying let's, the ending is so let's well let's let's kick off with that let's, one first let's get on it yeah yeah uh, because it's funny you should mention that because the ending not the original ending <laughs> okay director changed the ending so it's based on the book burnt offerings and the the book itself has a fairly ambiguous ending yeah uh, not defined um and the director dan curtis Big TV director actually did a shitload of TV movie stuff, in particular the Dark Shadows TV show. Okay, behind all that shit, you know that remake that came out. Christopher Burton did it with Johnny Depp and fucking. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, all that shit. Um, <laughs> uh, so so he he um had read the book years before and didn't like the ending. And when it came to do that, when he got pitched him to to direct it, the first thing he said was, right, I'm changing the ending. Um, So what we'll do is, like, very similar to what we did back on the 1971 episode with the short night of the glass doll, I'm going to put a little tag in here that says, skip this review so you don't get it spoiled for you. So by all means, if you are one of the few and the dumb <laughs> that I've never seen burnt offerings before. And I say that jokingly because I know it's one of those movies that's it doesn't always spring to mind when people are talking about 70s horror, but it really is it's one of the it's one of the ones that are right up there for me. Um hit pause here, uh, check the time code, uh, and then jump back in to not have it spoiled for you. But if you've stuck around, I'm gonna assume you've seen it or you just don't care, which I get like that. I listen to podcast reviews all the time of movies that I've not seen. And I'm like, oh, so that's a twist. And then I go and watch the movie, and then I'm like, that I know what's coming. And it doesn't. I, to me, it doesn't actually like that. That sort of stuff doesn't bother me as much um, as it did when someone spoiled the Sixth Sense ending for me. And yeah, that I mean, it depends what it is. It? You know, if it's a really big reveal that the entire movie kind of hinges on. Um, yeah. Then it does ruin. I mean, knowing the ending of Burnt Offerings, it doesn't ruin the movie. It's just a very nice surprise because it's a pretty cool little thing that happens. But yeah, it's, 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 it won't ruin the film for you. It's bitchingly glum and you know like at the very end of this movie so we were saying uh, Burnt Offerings directed by Dan Curtis big TV um, movie director Uh, synopsis is listed on IMDb a family moves into an old haunted house that regenerates itself by feeding off the life forces of its injured occupants. Stars Karen Black and Oliver Reed small appearance by Burgess Meredith Um, I'm trying to think this will be pre-Rocky when did Rocky come out? Yeah, I, I don't care whether it's pre or post Rocky. I, he's just Mick to me. I just want him to go, this guy's <laughs> going to kill you to death inside of three rounds. I didn't say it. I'm disappointed. <laughs> Maybe tonally awkward for the, the role. Um, so, yeah, like, like we were saying, um, I mean, I'll kick us off with this one. This was one that you picked. Um, 
what, why should burnt offerings be on this list? Well, out with the fact that very much like uh, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, which we spoke about in the 71 episode, Stephen King credits this as one of his favourite horror movies of all time. And no wonder. Um, it has two central performances by Karen Black and Oliver Reed, which are just fucking intense. Like, really, really, really intense performances. Um, I would... I've already said that Oliver Reed for me is, you know, one of the main reasons to watch The Devils because he's phenomenal in it, but he's great in this as well. Um, the 70s were a real kind of high point for him in genre cinema and Karen Black, genre mainstay, um, did this movie when she was four months pregnant. She, right. Which is fucking nuts because she's, she's flinging herself about the place. Yeah. <laughs> which is just a bit silly. Um... Other noticeable facts about this one is the the actual house that's used in here is the same house from Phantasm. Okay. It's a funeral home, uh, but also appears in A View to a Kill, which is a, a Bond movie that I do, I do rather love. Nice. Uh, Ma, Ma Power, um, well, a bit of Christopher Walken. <laughs> uh, it was terrible, wasn't it? Um, and so I married an axe murderer, which is the very first time I ever heard Michael Myers. Awful, 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 offensive, racist Scottish accent. Not for the first time. No, he set a whole three fucking part cartoon around it as well. Um, and a giant fat man <laughs> in the Austin Powers movie. Thanks for that. Thanks for that very much, Michael Myers. I'm I, I hope your career's... And wearing a kilt and playing the bagpipes. Yeah, I, 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 hope, I hope his career picks itself back up soon. We've all missed you, Mike. Oh. Um, so... <laughs> right, so... Um, like the synopsis says, uh, his family moves into a house. Um, the house is a bit dilapidated, and um, by the end of the movie, the house looks pristine. Um, and that's because the house actually feeds on people by turning them against each other, um, which is kind of awesome. Was this an instant, like when you got 76 and you were looking at a list of the movies, was this just like, a, oh, well, this is academic, burnt offerings needs to be on this list? Yeah, I think so. For me, this is a much better version of Amityville. Mm-hmm. I, agree. I don't think that's a particularly amazing film um, I think it's a great idea uh, but this for me like if I'm going for a film where a house is kind of a bit possessed and it turns the inhabitants of the house against each other like this wins hands down for me um, it's a really great kind of and also a great way, way to renovate a house <laughs> like I'm doing one right now <laughs> and it would certainly free up a lot of evenings and weekends if I could just like injure someone and the kitchen's done. Ah, oh, brilliant. Look at that. Kitchen, <laughs> kitchen's fixed. It's like a horror version of Changing Rooms. I don't know if you get that in America. It's like a TV program where like you piss off for the weekend and when you come back, just a big group of strangers have renovated your house for you without you knowing, which I suppose is good if your house is a dump. My, my favourite ones are when they come back and see a room and they hate it. Yeah, like to the point where someone cries and goes, "It's worse than before." <laughs> you know, sorry, because then they have to do it. Like we're not really spending any money, so they have to like beg, borrow, and steal stuff. Pretty much, it's, it's when they get to those things where they're like, "So, what, what, what does she like?" You're her neighbour, and the neighbour's like spoken to her once, and she's like, that. "I think she likes cats." So they do <laughs> the fucking got house. A cat, so they must <laughs> like cats. So there's a whole room fucking with cat skin chairs yeah. and fucking cats all over the wall and they find out that they actually don't like cats at all and they're just looking after a cat for their dead mother um, and the woman comes in and sees her and she just starts howling and, and everyone gets really awkward and really silent and that's the best thing about reality telly 
It is. No one wants to see it go right. You need to watch it when it goes wrong is when it's brilliant. It's like if you've seen the clip from uh, the, what is it, when they all go around to someone else's house for dinner. And oh, like, it, it, it come down with me. Yeah. And have you seen, there's one, like there's clips online of that where they go, why Why the fuck did you win? Like, they get really annoyed when they announce yes. the winner at the end and they yeah, like, there was someone that... like stormed off. Yeah, there was one that floated around recently where the guy basically got what he said. He said to the woman, "You've got all the, all the charm and whatever reverse and dump truck," and I was just like, "Oh yeah, fuck." <laughs> Which in the UK, that's like basically calling someone a cunt. That um, is a diss. <laughs> it's a very polite way of saying cunt because people in the UK don't like to say that for some reason. No, and people in Scotland love saying it, but for some reason, as soon as you go south of the border, people are ironically when you go south of the border, Andy, people don't like saying cunt. No, if you hear um, if he like if you said cunt at work, they go, Ew, oh, yeah. oh dear. Well, you get you get pulled you get hauled over the coals by your boss for saying that at work. Mm-hmm. And in Scotland, it's probably on your appraisal form, isn't it? You get yeah, pr- you get promoted. What, like, good use, you've had good a inventive good use, year, yeah. <laughs> a good and inventive use of the word "cunt." Give this man a promotion. Um, so we're getting we're getting so off piece here. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I like the Amityville movie. I, I really do. I think it's I think it's a it's a good movie based on an interesting story. The story itself is better than the movie. Um, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because like the, the, the story of Amityville, it was basically just his defence lawyer. Yeah. That's that's why they like if you if you really look into it, the whole thing's just a load of bollocks and like the whole possessed house thing is just basically like fucking Johnny Cochran cooking up a really good defence <laughs> to try and get his client off with like killing his family. If, if, the house ain't, if the house ain't legit, you got to quit. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, so yeah, it was a, it's a really interesting story. I mean, to be honest, done far better in the Conjuring. Um, you know. It is, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's the interesting thing because they do it like really, they do it really quick. They're like that. Not this the story... second one, not the second one where she's walking through the house like doing a fucking invisible shotgun with her hand. Fuck off. The first. I quite liked that. I thought. I thought this is the Amityville movie I want to see, which Did is five you like minutes the long. Cat in the hat bounding through the house as well in CGI. <laughs> no, no, I did not like The Conjuring two, but I liked the Amityville section at the beginning. The it first was five. The, it was like the Annabelle minutes. thing, there wasn't it? It was just a five minute thing. They should have stayed with that. Give me the whole story, then. Don't just show me like a little snippet and then just. They couldn't know. They don't have the rights to. It. I'm surprised they didn't get fucking sued for showing that bit at the beginning. They don't right. have the rights to Amityville. Um, they they went, they went I'll tell you what, guys, if she's got an invisible shotgun, they can't touch us. <laughs> 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 it's just pretend. It's just pretend. Um, it's not real. Look, we're not. We're not copying you at all. She's just miming. They're going. Oh, yeah. All right. You've got. But this it. is <laughs> this is the far more interesting story because, like, to me, the Amityville thing. It's it, there's an organicness to the. I like. I when I watch this one, I genuinely think that Karen Reed. Uh, Karen Reed, uh, Karen Black, and Oliver Reed are a married couple. They feel like a married couple. Their dynamics yeah. really, really, really good. Um, and I love the build up because it starts off with just small things like the the aunt is tired all the time. She's like she has no energy to do things. It's small, small changes that then lead up to the father trying to drown his son in a swimming pool. Yeah, and. There's no stunt double in that. That like Oliver Reed has a small kid's head under the water. <laughs> it's like back in the seventies when you could do that. Yeah, with um, all sorts. 
when you didn't have someone from a, like a fucking like a child protection agency. Yeah, the kid outside. didn't have a union rep, did he? So he's, doing <laughs> he's fucking traumatised. Still, you can't can't take a bath. Only can take a shower. Um, can't put his head under the water. Um, Great actor though, that kid. Maybe he wasn't but, acting. Maybe that's why he's so convincing because he didn't realise it was uh, a film. But the whole thing, yeah, the whole thing about that is like the the performances are what sells it for me. I watch Amityville and I get the feeling in certain scenes I'm like, oh right, there's there's some interesting casting here. I watch this one that just feels really organic and the story itself creeps up over time and it gets ludicrous towards the end. Yet at one point, Oliver Reed is almost raped with vines like the Evil Dead, you know, so that kind of happens. And we as viewers can see the writing on the wall. For the full time that you cannot see the old woman upstairs, you kind of know, you know, that we're never allowed in there, only Karen Black goes in there. Well, it was that weird thing where I kind of thought, like, yeah, like you say, you can kind of see where it's going, but I thought, did they really still think she's in there? (laughs) Yeah, after after a certain point, you're like, right, she's, that room's empty, isn't it? Yeah. Like, like Karen Black's sneaking in an extra meal because she's four months pregnant. I mean, that's, that's obvious. It's obvious what she did. She's having to be up there, having to be scran, taking the empty plates. Oh, she was really hungry today. As she says clue. tomorrow. Yeah, she says tomorrow, apple pie. Um, <laughs> the baby needs apple pie. I mean, uh, the woman needs apple pie. She, yeah. She's <laughs> so, got, the, the old lady's got cravings. I don't, I don't know what her problem yeah, is. We don't, we don't know what that's all about. But, um, and then, like, we're, like we say, we've obviously warned people not to listen to this review. Um, but the ending's fucking dark <laughs> it's like really really dark because not only does essentially at the end the family have decided enough is enough they're, they're finally going to get away everything's wrong it's, it's, it's tearing them apart um, and it almost kills the kid again and they all jump in the car but Karen Black says she needs to make sure the old lady's okay. She knows there's no old lady. Yeah, um, she wants one more slice of pie as well. She like wants it. a slice of pie. So she, she, <laughs> put the cookie down. Um, so she goes she, she goes upstairs and um, Oliver Reed gets a bit impatient, goes upstairs and finds it that <gasps> it's her all along. Karen Black has been aged horribly, or in this case... Our hair has some powder on it. <laughs> yeah, she's just got a bit of different, different makeup on. She doesn't look yeah. that dissimilar to Karen Black. I mean, you shaved her eyebrows, perhaps. About that and, and no more. Um, and then she she launches Oliver Reed out the fucking window and he crashes well, on the fucking car where the kid is. Andy. He may or may not have been thrown out of the window. He might have just taken a look at what the state his wife's in now and dove out of the window. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was like that. This, you know, this wasn't in my vows. Ah, you know, so <laughs> when it said in sickness and health, it didn't mean possession. Ah. Well, it's um, great because obviously it's very reminiscent of Psycho, almost to the point where like the tracking shot and everything is exactly oh, yeah. the same. Yeah. Um, but it's fucking great, and you don't. You kind of do see it coming, but I don't. I think it's still incredibly jarring when she turns around because of the makeup job that they've put on her. Yeah, um, yeah, it's really, really fucking creepy, uh, actually. Yes. And I'll tell you what, as well, Oliver Reed's performance, like when he's obviously going to confront this old lady, yeah. even though she is a little old lady and probably not that intimidating, Oliver Reed does a really good job of convincing me by his voice is kind of shaking, he's sort of hyperventilating yeah. in the way that people do. Um, yeah in a confrontational scene you know when in general unless you're 
really fucking good at, conf- at confronting people, which, you know, you don't really get that much practice, do you? Um, you know, your voice probably will shake and you probably will, you're, you know, your heart does start to race, so you, you will start to sort of breathe a little bit differently and all that sort of thing. And I think that it does a really fucking good job of that. And also, like, the they do the clever thing where you don't immediately get to see her, you get to see his reaction, which is even more terrifying than her, yeah. isn't it? You know, and he, obviously only if the actor can you know, perceive that he is incredibly terrified, which he can because it's Oliver Reed and he's fucking great. He is, he's brilliant and he, he gets launched out. Not only does he go at the, the top of this mansion house and crash into the car, which his son's sitting in, his son gets kicked in the fucking blood, so his and dad dies in front of him. you imagine, like... Fucking grim as fuck. And it's great as well because his son, like, hears the smashing of the window and has time to look up to see his fucking dad hurtling towards him as well. Yeah. And yeah. then... And then the kid traumatised at that point. It's like, right, well, I'm getting the fuck out of here. And he starts running away. And then the chimney from the house crushes him to death. Yep. So they kill the kid. Um, which leads to the rebirth of a brand new, renovated, rejuvenated house at the very end. And Burgess Meredith not being Mick from Rocky. All, all pleased that, that the house is now back to its former glory. And they will uh, undoubtedly sucker another another family into that house repeating the cycle over and over again. Yeah, it's because a the whole great plot movie. Is, like you get to live in this incredibly big house with the swimming pool and like gorgeous surroundings for next to nothing over the summer. That's yeah. how they kind of pull you in. Obviously the uh, you know the caveat is that you have to look after this old woman but all you have to do is leave food outside their door. It's a pretty good gig, you know, you get to live mm-hmm. in a mansion over the summer for next to no rent. So yeah, there's going to be people queuing up. So the kind of you know the story can go on and on and on. We get a new bathroom every year. Brilliant. It's shot beautifully. It's scored beautifully. It's it's back in those days where you could do stunts, which are obviously real stunts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there is a kid's head under the water. There is someone who lands on top of a car. There is someone who jumps out of a window. Um, you know, there's a. It's very grounded. And this, and what I love about this movie as well is it's not a. It's not all right. Here's the like. Here's massive amounts of gore and here's explicit violence and all the rest. It's all real violence. It's mm. all like grounded in reality. Yeah. Um, everything apart from the supernatural bits that happen with the plants and the storms and stuff like that. Um, it's all totally grounded in reality. I kind of love that about it. It's like, you know, the family itself. You, you realise before you know, before they even moved in there, have had problems. Um, Oliver Reed and. Um, Karen Black have not really slept together um, in a while and all the rest and that comes up in conversation as well that there is those cracks are already there mm. the house just aggravates the cracks um, which I think is which I think is pretty phenomenal it's a great choice Andy it is an absolutely great choice but is it better than Dr Black and Mr Hyde that's a question oh, right? God it's difficult isn't it I need to put it in the maybe pile <laughs> until we've talked about that one you've never seen this one no I hadn't Duncan <laughs> I <laughs> I've never seen this. It's directed, by, it's directed by William Crane, who directed Blackula. Right, I think Duncan just put this in here just to make sure I was actually watching them all. <laughs> synopsis. <laughs> the synopsis of IMDb is, when a scientist develops a formula to regenerate dying liver cells, it accidentally turns them into an albino vampire with a taste for prostitutes. We've all been there, Andy. That's Saturday night in Scotland. Of course. <laughs> I mean, it's weird. I think you put that in there, right? So you go, Dandy, did you watch all the films? And I go, yeah. What do you think of Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde? Brilliant. Liar! <laughs> I've got you. You can't, you can't. How can... 
So you, so you didn't enjoy this one? No, it was fucking brilliant, mate. It was hilarious. <laughs> like, this must be watched. Even if you don't watch any of the films from the list, you have to see this. It is insane. It's never it's... been... But this. I, the thing, I've been pressurising you and Arrow video now for the best part of three months as to an answer why this has not got a Blu-ray release anywhere. Yeah, it's crazy. And to me, it's um, obvious. I really, to me, this is the obvious one. It is the perfect mix of camp... A black exploitation, martial arts, because of course, a kind of hoodlum Harlem lifestyle, a pimps, prostitutes. If you're a big uh, fan of King Kong as well, yeah, ain't got shit in me, and ain't got shit in this movie either. Uh, I, I just, I think it's so extravagant, it's so over the top, it's so nonsensical, but. There's a couple of moments like, and you may laugh at me about this one. The scene where the 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 old the old woman in bed sits up with the eyes that are basically white and grabs her arm and <sighs> you know, it's fucking fine. Great it's, makeup uh, as well by Stan Winston of all people. Did the makeup on this? The big names come um, and work with me. Come and work with Mister Blackula. Yeah, and I tell you what, if they did that like today, you know, like the, this horrible CGI screen face that started off in um, Grave Encounters and looked uh-huh. pretty cool, and then they fucking did it in like loads of other films afterwards. This is kind of the prototype for that, but it's done practically, and it is terrifying. This little old lady with these white eyes and this fucking like grimacing face. Yeah, it's really brilliant. Creepy. The <clears throat> doctor, not so much. When they, <laughs> this is insane, right? They actually think he's a white guy, which is unbelievable. Like you know, like if you, okay, if you put some talcum powder on Mike Tyson, right? Uh-huh. You wouldn't describe him as like five foot nine, really muscly. What colour is he? Definitely white. No, he's not. He's just a really muscly black guy with a skin disorder. I am going to be controversial here and say to me it is as convincing as the the, the two brothers in that white chicks movie. <laughs> so there you go. We have not come that far, Andy, right? Or on the flip side, um, it's no less offensive than Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder. No, it's not. It's funny though, because it's just that like he's not a Michael Jackson style like, please, Doctor, can you just get rid of my black guy nose and lips like facial reconstruction. <laughs> if anything, the makeup is enhanced. His like Afro, yeah, know, American heritage is even yeah. more apparent. But no, he's definitely a white guy. He's not. He's really obviously yeah. still a black. I, I, guy. I love the fact that it's not even a white guy they're going for. It's the albino, and you're like, right. Okay, he's really not. That's not what albinos look like. Um, but yeah, I, I have a whole hell of a lot of time for this movie. Um, yeah. I've spoken about it before, like you said. I did an episode with, with Johnny Krug back in the day um, where we talked about Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde. Um, and we may have spoken about the Blackula movies. Mm. I get the feeling we spoke about Blackula yeah, 1 and you 2. Did. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> and then kicked into this one. Um, it's, I mean, to me, this is. There's a real, there's a real. This was a really good decade for. Well, this was the decade really for black exploitation, um, mm. and the horror output they did. Some of it worked really well, and some of it not so well. And there is a reason that there are quite a few black exploitation horror movies on the seventies list for me. Whether it's Sugar Hill, Abbey, or you know the Black Hill movies, or this one itself, um, the reason they're in there is because I actually think when you compare them to the contemporary movies that were coming out by your average studio covering the same subject matter 
the black exploitation ones are the more interesting movies. Mm. So the like when you look at something like Blackula, Blackula to me is better than you know a fair few of the Hammer vampire movies that were out in and around that time period. Um, because at least they're trying to do something different. They're telling a story with a different voice, whereas Hammer by that point were just repeating the same voice over and over and over again. It's like yeah. we bring back Christopher Lee as Dracula, even though he doesn't want to be here. And do we and need to explain how he's alive again? No, just yeah. bring him back. There's, don't there's, there's don't at even least... worry about bridging the gap between the last film. Don't there's at least that. one of those movies as well that Christopher Lee doesn't say anything in it because he refused to do dialogue in the movie because he didn't want to do the role, so Dracula doesn't say anything. Yeah. Um, and, and it speaks to me quite prominent that, you know... There was this kind of idea within the, you know, the the kind of black culture of making movies, and they're like, we're going to start doing movies, and we're going, right, we're already doing the the, the kind of what they call, you know, the black action movies, black exploitation, grindhouse movies, etc. And then like that, we can do fucking horror as well, and they can do it really effectively for for you know, for uh, and I and what I love about it as well is like they don't go for the same stereotypes that white directors do, which is you kind of minimalize. A black character on screen. That's not how it works in a black exploitation movie. The, no. the white actors have a hell of a lot of dialogue. It's just the black actors are smarter than them. The mm. black characters. There's a reason that the black actors' um, dialogue is. You know, there's a, a one point where he's like that. Uh, was it um, the situation's becoming insalubrious? And you're like, what the fuck? And he goes, which means I'm going to stomp a mud hole in your ass. Like this, right? But you know, like they, they all have that. They had those things. And I, I think it's great and it speaks to it. And whilst this is not a scary movie, not in any way, shape or form, and I dare say was not a scary movie when it came out, you watch this movie, you're having a fucking ball from start to finish. There's no way you can't have a fucking ball watching Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde. Hence why it's on the list. Plus, the 70s soundtrack is actually bitching as fuck. Great. <laughs> okay, well, it's interesting you should talk about like, the whole sort of exploitation thing as well, because like this sort of unnecessary nudity, racial stereotypes, it basically because mm -hmm. they had to align with sort of the commercial obligation of the film industry. Ironically now, that's kind of what Hollywood is doing now, even in 2017. Like, you've got yeah. this gratuitous nudity, everyone's a fucking model. There's racial stereotypes, even though it's the opposite way round. Yeah. And it's still, you know, obviously in the black exploitation films, it's the black guys that are the heroes. But you've still got these incredibly ridiculous racial stereotypes, even in really modern movies. And I think we talked about it when we were talking about, like, the Hellraiser movie. Yes. You know, like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacres and stuff. It's just like, fucking hell. Like, it's there. The, the exploitation's there. It's just so much more acceptable now because it's fucking Michael Bay. Yeah. I, I think another thing... I think another thing that's really interesting about these movies as well is, like, a lot of people are like, oh, so black exploitation. So you know, it's, you know, it, it's uh, it's you know, black cinema being exploitative of of you know Hollywood's you know big action blockbusters or whatever and all the rest. And people look at that as and forget that it's not just that culture that's doing it. Um, Hollywood's being exploitative of Hollywood <laughs> since since its inception. So. But, like, the 1970s where, you know, the Italian cinema is ripping off fucking everything. Like, actually, every, anything that's big the year before in American cinema is all the way through the following year in Italian cinema, whether it's um, Possessions. Where, like, the, there's about, I think there's about fucking 10 Jaws rip-offs in Italian cinema that all come out, like, about four years. Um <laughs> They started naming their movies 
<laughs> after after like started like naming their movies very similar to to uh, movies that came out in the states as a way to sell them a bit easier um, and vice versa. We spoke about it back um, on 1971 episode that when they marketed Twitch of the Death Nerve or uh, Bay of Blood in America, the original name they wanted to market it as uh, Roger Corman wanted to market it as Last House on the Left Two, even though it came out a year before Last House on the Left. Brilliant. Um, and when we were doing the doing the nasty show, you remember absurd and Anthropopicus, where essentially there were one came before the other one, but in terms of how they were named, they were numbered out of they were given the same name and numbered out of order. Yeah, um, I mean the zombie films did the same. I remember you telling me as well, like when we did the Squish of the Death Nerve thing on the on the doing the nasty. They would re-release the exact same movie just with a different name, just yeah. to fool like a few hundred, maybe a few thousand people into buying a cinema ticket. Yeah, like what the fuck way is that to treat your fans? Because obviously you go to the cinema and within about three minutes you go and run it. It's exactly the same film you watched a yeah. month ago. But well, they don't Roger... mind they've got the fucking ticket money and <laughs> insane. Roger Corman was the great believer in that a name and a poster will sell a movie, um, and if True. it doesn't work, if it doesn't well, work, you do in the fucking eighties. Just if it didn't work though back then, right? Um, you would just change the poster and change the name, re-release it, and yeah, eventually, yeah, eventually it hit. I mean, yeah. you know, we we grew up in an era when you you your entire video choice was purely based on the front cover. When you went to oh, the God, video yeah. shop, or even in HMV when you were buying a film, you know, I'd spend fifteen quid on a movie just on the strength of what it, what the video cover looked like and what it said on the back. You didn't have IMDb back in them days. Yeah. And quite often you'd get home and you'd go, "Well, I've just pissed fifteen quid up the wall." <laughs> Which regularly happened, Andy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> regularly happened. But um, yeah, so I think, I mean, Bay of Blood has uh, um, is rumored to have the most names of any movie ever released because uh, it did the the grindhouse circuit so much that they just kept changing the name every six months so they could put it back out on another double billing. Um, but yeah, uh, which brings us back to Doctor Black and Mister Hyde, which I think. Um, it is a crime and a travesty that this movie has still not found its way to Blu-ray and I tell you the day it does it's a first day purchase for me oh it will do it'll get there I'm Fucking sure love um, it actually love it main bullet points from my notes not as good as the Michael Caine one <laughs> um, basically the equaliser yeah. <laughs> and they went for a King Kong, en- King Kong ending question mark. it's Totally King Kong at the end of the movie. There's no, there's no getting around that. They decided that they would recreate that. Amazing. Um, you can see it coming, and it's fucking hilarious because it's uh, really out of left field as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, this film's fucking bonkers. It's not particularly scary, um, but I'm glad you pointed it out to me because I'm glad I watched it. Um, I'm over the moon. So that one was Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde. Let's change up the pace, Andy. Let's change up the pace. Go on, Let's go. <laughs> Let's call it. Inside, inside. <laughs> you motherfucker! Um, not on my show. Get off my show, Blockley. Um, let, let, let's let's bring it down to. Um Ooh, so much choice, so much choice. Right, let's do Hammer Horror. Oh, it's like let's Christmas, get this. isn't it? You don't know which place to open next. <laughs> let's just. <laughs> let's do some Hammer Horror to the Devil a Daughter. Right now, I've already covered this one. I covered this one. At least once, I've maybe covered this twice. Uh, I think it's only once I've covered it, and it was back on the top 10 British horror movies um, of all time. I have a whole hell of a lot of love for this movie. Um, I don't think it ends well, and we'll get to that. I think the ending is wholly fucking stupid. Um, And then it just finishes, and I'm like, really? 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 
Um, but up until that point, I'm down on board with this one because Christopher Lee in the 70s had decided he no longer wanted to play Dracula. He'd done, in 1970, he did four fucking outings as Dracula and he's like, right, I'm done. Please let, let me go. Let me be free, please. Let me be free, please. There ain't no, just one. 17 more, Chris. <laughs> it's like, we have another seven ready to go. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the tea of Dracula, the iced tea of Dracula, the tea party with Dracula, we're calling it the, the tea series. It's like, no, please, please let me go. Um, but in the case of this one, uh, he, he was a, a noted fan of the occult and had a lot of occult friends, including this little guy called Dennis Wheatley. And Dennis Wheatley wrote a lot of books on the occult. There were always thrillers um, or horror books about people being involved with the occult or stumbling across a conspiracy to do with the devil. And Dennis Wheatley at the time had been very, had done a lot of research and had been friends with Alistair Crowley. Um, and so his books are really, really interesting. To the Devil a Daughter is definitely one of those interesting books, but it's not my favourite of his. Uh, my favourite of his was the the runaway hit that preceded this, um, which is called uh, The Devil Rides Out, which okay. is another Hammer movie. It's legitimately my favourite Hammer horror movie ever. I think it's arguably one of Christopher Lee's best performances as well. But um, on the strength of that, Christopher Lee basically pleaded with Dennis Wheatley um, to have... You know, another you know, to basically get the rights to the Devil a Daughter, and they agreed, and it it didn't work out very well. It really didn't work out very well. In fact, it put an incredible strain on um, <laughs> Dennis Wheatley and Christopher Lee's relationship, because uh, Wheatley fucking hated this movie. Whilst he loved The Devil Rides Out, he hated this movie. This is the last. This is the the last hurrah. For Christopher Lee in Hammer Horror, he this is the last Hammer Horror movie he made until The Resident, uh, which is like 2010, 2011, um, so it's like 30 odd years later before Lee made his way back to this. But Lee hated this movie. Uh, well, hated the ending of this movie. There's a lot of controversy that that swings around with it. Uh, so let's give you some information, then we'll get into it. Directed by Peter Sykes, who once again mostly did TV stuff. Um, the synopsis, an American occult novelist battles to save the soul of a young girl from a group of Satanists led by an ex excommunicated priest who plans on using her as the representative of the devil on earth. Stars Richard Weinmark, Christopher Lee, Honor Blackman, Daniel Elliott, Michael Goodliffe uh, and Natasha Kinski. Now, the big there's a couple of big controversies about this one. One of them is Natasha Kinski, who is naked in this movie when she was 14 years old. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uncomfortable. Uh, really just out of order, isn't it? Because you can tell she's like a pre-pubescent girl as well. Oh, yeah. Really fucking weird. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. There's no, there's no getting around that. Um, it's just a, it's an of-the-time thing. Yeah. Even then, at the time, it was still... You know, it's not really... You're not supposed to do that anyway. Well, I'm sure if 70s. her parents were on set, that wouldn't happen. You know what I mean? That's just the fucking director's like taking advantage. Yeah, but our dad's mental. Oh, well, there you go. Our dad was Klaus Kinski. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so Jesus. Mental um, Klaus would have probably... probably get mad whether he was there then, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> mental Klaus is probably all into that. Um, do it more, please, do it more. Put it in um, a contract, if anything. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> like, the, the stuff that came out, of the movie, and like I say, if you want to add like a like a full on 
re review of this one, jump back to, I think it's like episode 12, I think is when we covered this movie, maybe episode 10. Um, but like uh, Natasha Kinski was interviewed in 1997 uh, and basically said that she felt torn apart by peer pressure to appear nude in the movie and regretted the fact that no one protected her on set from doing it no one said don't do it um and I, think it that, I think that's what's more disturbing really the fact that she did it is the fact that nobody yeah and like no one kind of stepped in and went hang on a minute like you can't do that well yeah. the thing that's like ultimately the slap in the face is christopher lee is also naked in this movie yes, he's ass out yeah yeah but it's not christopher lee's ass it's a stunt double christopher lee's ass would be too saggy at that point <laughs> doesn't matter though i like you get a stunt double to be her body you know what I mean? You, yeah, exactly. You do not... Like in the Wicker Man, like you don't really need, you know, especially of a fucking fourteen-year-old girl. Of really, fucking um, course. And and do you know what? Right, some fucking pervert on Amazon has gone. Hey, if you like, uh, if you're a fan of Natasha Kinski, you know, check this one out. She's fourteen in it. You fucking yeah. That that guy, that guy needs his dick chopped off. Um, but yeah. So the reason, like, we've, I've focused on a lot of negative aspects right at the start here. But the reason it's on this is that for, I basically think up until, I'm not one of these people where like the last five minutes ruins a movie for me. If the preceding hour and 25 minutes are fucking amazing and the last five minutes don't finish the way I want, I can overlook that. I know that you're different, <laughs> um, but I can overlook that. I can be like, well, it's not the strongest ending I want, but look at all the really great stuff they gave us beforehand. Yeah. And that's what I feel about the to Devil a Daughter because up until those last five minutes in the movie, um, you're one of the strongest kind of hammer outings dealing with the occult and the devil. Christopher Lee is a fucking amazing villain in this as this excommunicated priest. Um, you know, it is not heresy and I will not repent. Um, and... For, for all intents and purposes, he genuinely believes what he's doing is good. And I think that's what sells it for me. It's almost as if someone said to Christopher Lee, no, you're the goody in this movie, <laughs> right? Because he, he feels virtuous with everything he says in this movie. He doesn't come across as the classic Christopher Lee villain. No. You know, kind of moustache twiddling guy in the background going, <laughs> you know, he's, he's not like that at all. Um, and I kind of love that. I, I think that... The, the idea of kind of the, the satanic element and the occult element done in a modern time frame works really well for the movie. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like like to the devil, uh, to the devil a daughter obviously set modern time. Devil rides out set like in the like 1800s or whatever, um, or early 1900s. So it's, you know, it's set in a different different time period which you still feel like, oh, this is old worldly and people are reading books beside the fire because there is no radio at this time and all this stuff um, even though that movie does have cars uh, it feels older than it is in the case of this one it feels contemporary for the time period certainly but I still think it does have a kind of contemporary vibe that flows through it's not your standard Hammer movie there's not a gothic gothic overtone in it mm. as well um, and I genuinely think for the most part casting's really well done and it's a really good conspiracy story that leads up to ultimately what is a very goofy ending uh, Christopher Lee is dispatched with a bit of flint to the mm -hmm. top of his head and then she pulls herself out of a kind of um, kind of polarised vortex filter and then the credits roll mm -hmm. um, which is pish 
Uh, like, don't get yeah. around it. It's a terrible ending. What did you get? You'd never seen this one either. And I remember you sending me a message saying you were watching it and you were having a whole hell of a lot of fun yeah, with it. Yeah, I was really enjoying it. I mean, Lee's great in this, like you say. And really similar to his role in The Wicker Man, really, in as much as how the fuck do you reason with someone when they think they're completely righteous and doing the right thing? Yep. You know what I mean? It's pretty terrifying, that. Um, yeah, there is some really enjoyable stuff here. Some really fucking dark, brutal imagery, like she's having visions, like, you know, people are getting killed. Um, it made me think of that lovely Molly film that I know you don't like. Like, that blatantly just kind of ripped off this idea of this kind of person just kind of losing the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, Dead Baby, always a bit of a downer. <laughs> Even in 1976. I mean, especially for 1976. You know, you got a black mass scene as well, which is also pretty brutal for its time. Yep. I mean, I know Hammer, you know, those kind of era films, like there was some pretty brutal stuff going on. I mean, you've got things like The Witchfinder General and that. But this, yeah, it's um, quite we're, surprising, we're, really. We're post, we're post Rosemary's Baby, so everyone now that's making a satanic movie in the 70s are up in the up in the stakes. So it's not just yeah, goofy people on a party anymore. Really. And I suppose like, Rosemary's Baby was great because you didn't really see much. And I suppose you can't really do that again. You know, yeah. they, that film did that perfectly, where it's all kind of, you know, up until the, the final reveal, whereas after that, it's kind of, well, where else do we go then? You know, they've, they've, they've absolutely done the perfect movie there, where you didn't really get to see too much gruesome shit. Let's just fucking throw everything at the camera. And that's kind of what happens in this. It is a really creepy, unsettling movie. Um, unfortunately, yeah, unsatisfying ending, um, yeah. which ultimately kind of does let the film down doesn't take away from the fact that I did enjoy the film, um, but it is a shame, isn't it, when a film, you think a film's really building to this kind of crescendo and it doesn't, it just kind of fizzles out with a, with a plot, which is a shame. Yeah. Um, but really good, yeah, I'm probably going to buy this at some point, which is why I was looking on Amazon, and so I'm actually going to write on his review, because you can do a comment, can't you? I'm going <laughs> to put, you she's can't. 14, you fucking pedo. <laughs> And see if he quickly just takes his review down, going, oh, God, I didn't realise. Because you probably wouldn't realise, because you don't expect it. I don't think you do expect no. to see a naked, fully frontal 14-year-old girl, even though, you know, she could just be kind of underdeveloped, which some people are. Mm. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're right. It's, I think it's uncomfortable me, stuff. Yeah, you, there's a very good chance that they, they, they did, that person did not know that when they wrote that. I'm going to tell him. <laughs> yeah, let, let's, let's go from someone who is cast very young to play someone a bit older to the actual reverse of that like completely the reverse of that uh, and let's jump to Carrie mm. um, so Carrie is one of the heavy hitters if not the heavy hitter yep. of this particular year um, this is like I've spoken about this very recently um, so this one was discussed um, this time last year this time last year I did the, the whole Stephen King top yeah, 10 course. and the number one adaptation for me was Carrie uh, because I genuinely think it's the best adapted Stephen King work ever made and there's a few reasons for that one I am like I get rigid on so many levels for Brian De Palma movies I really like the man knows how to tickle the you know tickle my asshole with a feather and oh, nice. um, you know what I mean just the way I like it um, so she's he's really good at that but um, the reason I mentioned about actors and actresses being cast well out with their age range uh, Sissy Spacek was a lot older than Carrie um, she was in her mid-twenties I think obviously playing like a 17 year old another Buddy Reperton what sorry? She's just another Buddy Reperton yes yes very much so um, and the, the thing the thing that's the thing that makes this one really interesting is Brian De Palma coming into 76 had a bit of a name about himself but wasn't 
you know, wasn't the De Palma that we all know now. This is the movie that really kind of shoots this director into superstardom, but at the same time also catapults Stephen King into superstardom. Because yeah. King up to this point had done a bit of work. Carrie was his first proper novel to be published. And even then, there's a great story of him basically saying that he was like, he was given up when he when he finished Carrie. And he was like, yeah, I've had enough. I'm not doing this. I can't be a writer. No one's interested. And then he sold, you know, he sold Carrie to his publisher. And he's like, all right, well, maybe, you know, maybe I can be. Um, and this one gets picked up. I mean, King has been vocal about this one. He says that, you know, one of his favourite adaptations. Um, he was paid very little money. <laughs> he paid like $2,500, which was right. still a bit of money back in 76. But when you when you realise that the movie went on to gross multi-millions, yeah. um, it's, it's, quite, it's quite interesting. So, directed by Brian De Palma, um, starring Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, Amy Irving, William Catt, John Travolta and Nancy Allen. Synopsis, Carrie White, a shy, friendless teenager girl who's sheltered by her domineering religious mother, unleashes her telekinetic powers after being humiliated by her classmates at her senior prom. Right, so... Let me just see, and then I'll turn the floor over to you. Um, I think this is pretty much a flawless horror movie. Um, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think Brian De Palma directs the absolute shit out of this movie. Um, I mean, it's stylized within an inch of its life. It has a, it has scenes of pure brutality. Um, De Palma really revels in his split screen technique which he's used in other movies before this but really is like this is how I do it right so he used it a lot in Sisters um, but by the time we get to this movie he's like well, this is how you do it uh, specifically in the gym sequence uh, at the prom but this movie also has this really weird kind of ethereal dreamy kind of whimsical wooziness that floats over some of the direction as well very soft light and very soft colours um, which just exemplifies how harsh this movie gets um, towards the end I think Sissy Spacek is brilliant I think Piper Laurie is fucking incredible um, I think Nancy Allen is really good and she goes on to, d to do quite a lot of roles as well as uh, become partnered up with Brian De Palma in a sexual nature um, that's right uh, and you have uh, John Travolta here as well the two of them being reunited in arguably one of my favourite De Palma movies of all time Blowout which comes in like 1981 um, I think it's I think it's just like the perfect horror movie um, I don't know if we've ever spoke about I don't think we've ever spoke about Carrie no, no, we've not. And do you know why, right? Even though I know it is a really fucking good film and it's really well acted and it's really well shot and really well directed and it's a good story and the pace is like bang on and everything. I'm just not really into it. Oh, wow. I don't really know why. Like, I can't really explain it to you. Like, I've I've watched it like twice and I do enjoy it when I watch it, but I've never, I never really go back to it. Um, I never own it. I've not, I've not owned it. I don't ever intend to own it because it's just not a film I really am into. But I, I appreciate what a great film it is and what a great mm -hmm. adaptation it is. And it's weird because uh, I know there's nothing wrong with it. I can't turn around and say, right, I don't think this bit of it's very good. I don't think that bit of it's very good. It just doesn't. I just can't really. It just doesn't click with me. And I and I don't know why I can't connect with it because I do totally connect with the whole 
you know, being like you know, bullied at school and being the outcast and the whole like how cathartic it is that she gets revenge on everyone and obviously she's got this terrible downtrodden mother and you know, mother that down you know is really like you know, treads her down and fucking trying to ruin her life in a protective way. But, you know, I, I get all that and I think it is really clever and well done. I just I don't know, maybe I need to revisit it again. I haven't watched it again for this review because it's a film I know really well. It's yeah. obviously a very memorable film to me. I do remember it and like I don't know. I just, I'm just not that into it. That's, so, that's weird. As as weird, but then sometimes movies just like I, I know a few horror movies that I'm like, technically, you know, on a technical basis, I think is shot phenomenally, and I understand, right. you know, it scored great and the acting's brilliant, the, the story, the story works really well and all the rest. But there's just not that spark that connects it with me. Yeah, um, it doesn't mean that I don't. I'm, um, I'm so familiar with it as well because I think I've seen the TV version, I've seen the sequel, I've seen the remake. Remake, yeah. I'm really, it's... I'm obviously quite into it, and there's something that interests me because I, you know, I've, I've all the incarnations of it, I kind of see come out and watch. So maybe I need to watch it again, and it's difficult for me because I don't feel that it. I, I totally think it deserves to be on the list, and I kind of. This is what I was worried about when we spoke about these films, right? Like almost like spoiler alert sort of jump into the end i imagine that most people are going to think we're going to put the omen through in this mm -hmm. and i can't really think of a good reason for this not to be on the list it's just <laughs> not going to be the one i want to put forward it's, it's good but this is what this is what i try to tell people in advance do not come in with assumptions that you know where we're going to land on certain things because it's not just me making the list it's other people making the list with me and it's completely different tastes and things will go the way they go um, and this will be you've already put forward something that is going to happen like I imagine just now people's asses starting to sweat listening to this <laughs> <laughs> like literal like just like people just going uh, 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 just like looking at their device going no no Andy no but um, yeah that's that's the nature of the beast um, well Let's let's leave Carrie then, because we will we will at the end when we're deliberating. We'll Pop come back. The maybe pile along with burnt offerings. Yeah, well we'll see we'll see we'll see where where things go, and let's change pace to a genre that you really don't give a fuck about. Um, so we'll continue that that um, <laughs> that that blockly milieu um, <laughs> towards things. So I picked this little movie called The House with Laughing Windows. Get this one out of the way, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's, let's do this one. I happen to really like this movie. Uh, directed by Poopy Avanti. Now, that's P U P I. So it's probably not perhaps Poopy, but the juvenile part of me is like, yee yeah, it's, your, it's your show. You pronounce it how you want. Thank you very much, Andy. So, Poopy. Um, <laughs> it's like there's, it's like that time I auditioned. I, I don't know if you ever know this, but um, I auditioned for this extreme thrash metal band back in 2007 2008 over as in what? Denmark as the lead singer yeah and in Denmark though they were signed um, I was a big fan of them and their singer left and they put out the call looking for vocalists um, and I did said they make them, you windmill your penis in the audition they did not which uh, was much much that's what John Fashanti had to do to get in the chilli peppers I, I manscaped like a motherfucker before I went in there designed a couple of devil horns there but did not work I did not work let I was like, and I spent hours. I was itching for a week, Andy. Itching. Did for a you week. perfect swinging it both ways? Because I can only do clockwise. Um, oh, that's a good. Question. I'll never go clockwise as well. Right. There you go. There were too much so, information it? for like the I listeners. Can only, I can only raise one eyebrow. I can't do the other one. Weird. I'm the same. There you go. 
We like twins, Duncan. We, we, well, we did meet each other, um, and when we met each other, it was like looking in a mirror. I was like, look at my rippled pecs. Um, so Incredible. <laughs> was, it's uncanny. Um, God, that's you nearly a year ago, isn't it? Fucking yeah. hell. Are you, right. getting, are you getting that, that blood feast blurry? I thought you were going to say, am I getting a semi? <laughs> well, that was, I, I, I already got that. That's granted. Yeah, um, granted. yeah, I probably will. Amazing. I need to watch it again. I'm actually thinking of suggesting it to... Um, uh, Ricky and Johnny to do it's a good move on Shorba Cinema because it needs to be seen. I know they uh, do it like they they play clips as well in their show, and there's so many clips. I mean, we rarely played clips in doing the nasty of the actual films, did we? But in that yeah. occasion, I think we played three or four from that film because you had to. The only reason I mentioned it is because I said it was uncanny, and then I remembered it's uncanny. Oh yeah, not one clue. <laughs> I've still to, like, it's coming out on Blu-ray and I've still to watch the Blu-ray version that I've got. It's still in the box. It's a weird one, box. isn't it? Because, like, I even, Blu-ray can't save it. I remember, like, some of the shots, the camera was always mounted at the same, same height and I think they used, I think they filmed in the same room. I think it's the same room. Every, it's a static yeah. camera in, oh, in the same room, I think. Yeah. Is, oh, yeah. I, sorry, I, I got slightly distracted there. But, but um, this would basically be like Necromantic. You're not really buying it for the film, you're buying it for the special features. I, I think, think Blood pro- yeah. would be the same. I'm incredibly interested to watch all the little documentaries and stuff that comes with that. Yeah, the only reason we went off on that huge tangent is because the 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 Danish thrash metal band that I auditioned for, who are called Hate Sphere, um, their guitarist um, has this like really fucking harsh sounding Danish name, um, but his nickname, his name is Peter, but these like some names are like really fucking harsh sounding thing, but his his nickname is Pepe, and I, he's like a fucking six, six foot seven, tattooed hulking monster. <laughs> And I had to say hi, Pepe, to him. And I was just like... And he went, what the fuck are you laughing at? And head, yeah. he, did, he didn't understand. He did not understand. Um, and that's where the Scottish charm gets you at those things. It's like, hey, buddy, come here, you cunt. And more on it. Um, so this one was directed... Surprised to say you did not get the part. I did not, actually. Um, but I still talk to the guys all the time. It was a great audition. They have a video, apparently, a VHS of me audition with them, which I ask for... F- from him every year and he kind of teases it he's going to send it to me and never sends it to me <laughs> dick who's got a name like Pepe um, so this is The House with, with Laughing Windows directed by Poopy Avanti uh, uh, the synopsis Stefano uh, a young restorer is commissioned don't know why I went Sean Connery there Stefano a young restorer no, keep going. Keep going. is commissioned to shave a controversial mural located in a church in a small isolated village so there we go. Oh, that was a bit. Oh, you're not Sean Connery. I might do my Gregory Peck impression in a bit. So <laughs> I can't wait to hear that. Um, so this one is a Jallo. Now we've mentioned that term so much thus far in the recordings that I get the feeling that there is now a drinking game that involves doing a shot whenever I say the word Jallo. Um, I'm just going to say Jallo, 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 and you are now dead listener uh, you have drunk yourself into an early grave and i am laughing much like the windows in this house which don't actually laugh the name is misleading um so <laughs> yeah it didn't happen so yeah so basically we have this this guy who shows up he's been asked to um work on this it says controversial mural it's because there's a guy tied up being stabbed by these two hag-like women uh, and what we find out is that basically the painter who designed this um, lived with his two 
slightly eccentric sisters who did the same to him, <laughs> essentially. Um, the beginning of the movie, it really looks like the guy is getting stabbed in the dick, like a lot. See if you get a chance to watch back that bit at the beginning, that sepia tone that floods over, it looks like his cock's getting stabbed. Yeah, and some people like it. But some people do, I do not. My eyes watered, like, quite a bit. Um, but yeah, so basically, it's your classic kind of jallo fare. Um, we have a guy who's an outsider coming to a place that he's not familiar with. Um, there is some sort of mystery that people seem to know about. He digs into the mystery, and just when he think, in the case of this one, it kind of slips more into the horror tropes and the jallo tropes, just when you think he's safe, he's not. Um, the further he investigates into it, he realises that people start dying in the town. Um, and then it gets a wee bit even more creepy and what eventually ends up to be is not quite clearly defined because he believes the two sisters are still alive but we are led to believe as the viewer that it's actually the spirits of the, the two sisters that exist that can uh, occupy other people's bodies um, or some shit like that. It's, it's, fairly, it's, it's fairly open to interpretation but in the best possible way. Now the reason I shoved on this this one is it is the, the giallo that isn't. It comes on the kind of tail end. By 76, that whole kind of style of cinema was very much out of fashion. Wasn't making as much money as it had been. The heyday of the, the giallo really went from 1970 to about 1975, 1976. Very much like the slasher boom, which went from like 1979 to about 84, 85. Four um, or five more listeners have just hit the deck because you've just mentioned it like three or four more times. Yeah, I know. Sorry, yeah, whole just... poisoning. <laughs> I think <laughs> what it really is is that you just need a jello in every year. I, but I almost did have one. I was almost like I'm super impressed with myself that I almost got one in every single year, but not quite. Um, but yeah, so this one, it's not shot. That there, there are things that I think work as a disadvantage to it but there are things that I think really work to his advantage and make it a movie that people should be talking about more when they talk about this decade in Italian cinema. The things that don't necessarily work out all that well for it um, is that it is shot poorly. Um, it doesn't have the grand cinematography of a lot of the kind of hyper stylized cinema that was that particular subgenre. So you had these great auteurs, that your Argentos, your Filchis, your Bavas, your Martinos, um, your your Lados that were out there doing these fantastic, like kind of, especially when it was set in small villages. I think of things like Don't Torture a Duckling um, by Filchi, which is set in a small Italian town, but it's beautifully shot, takes in the scenery, takes in the architecture as this great backdrop to the mystery that you're going to follow through. And this one's not shot with the same money, really. Um, and it's not shot with the same, I would say, confidence. But what the movie does have is, at its core, this really interesting descent into paranoia and dread that our central character goes through. Stefano, at the start of this movie, is a very confident kind of painter. You know, who's hired to do a job, and by the end of this one, is a blubbering mess. He's been through the ringer. He, he distrusts his his own his own instincts. He distrusts everyone around him. Um, and when he thinks he has got to grips with what the mystery is, it's revealed that he doesn't. Every single turn, all the way down, um, which I kind of love. And it's the journey of the character that I think really sells this one, and the fact it leans more into horror 
than your average Jalo. Like most of them had this kind of, as you joked, kind of murder mystery vibe to it. And generally, what made them horror was the 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 gore, the blood. Mm. You know, the 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 murder sequences are what elevated them into that genre. And they are in this movie, but this movie is is psychological and it's supernatural as well. Um, and it doesn't feel the need to justify itself beyond what it does. It doesn't have any of the. It doesn't have a, a particularly amazing score, which a lot of the. The, you know the time period for those movies does have so it kind of feels like a bargain basement sort of jallo but what it does have is a super strong story though um, which unlike a lot of those particular movies of that era were the vice versa that would be really well shot really confident but didn't really make a lot of sense um, now you had an interesting experience with this one in that you were telling me off here you had to watch this one completely foreign with foreign subtitles as well because yeah, well, yeah. I downloaded, didn't I? I had to, I had to torrent this thing. Um, didn't occur to me to look on YouTube because I knew it was foreign film. Did find one with a subtitle track, the old like dot SRT track. Mm-hmm. I went to watch it tonight as the last film that I was going to watch while I was like making my notes and stuff for the other movies, and the subtitle track was also foreign. So I had two lots of subtitles popping up on the screen. Obviously, didn't understand either of them. <laughs> um, couldn't watch it on YouTube because I was using my laptop to make notes for the rest of the show um so i did kind of i had it on and i was watching it i just didn't know what the hell was going on which is probably <laughs> not that different to every other jello that i watch anyway so it's fine um, <laughs> it's so, the funny thing is shameless put it out on dvd right in the uk as part of their extensive collection which i'm going to assume means somewhere down the line unless Arrow or another company like 88 Films buys up the rights for for um, for Blu-ray when when they become available. I would imagine somewhere down the line, Shameless will put it out on on Blu-ray, and I'd be interested to see that because mm. I think this is a movie that could use a bit of TLC and cleaning up, like quite a bit. I think that's the the thing that lets down the versions of it that are out just now is the cinematography yeah. just feels very dated and not as crisp. Um, I mean for. So, to you, this would have been like there's a, there's a great story I've told on this show before about the first time I ever watched Barbarian Sims Studio. Okay. Um, uh, and I got a, I got a copy of Barbarian Sims Studio before it was officially out. Uh, so I'm still kind of festively, um, but I got the non-subtitle version. Probably, probably same with this one. Doesn't make that much difference. It, 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 it anything it made way. the move it made, it made the movie more terrifying to me because I didn't have a fucking clue what was going on in the movie at all. Yeah, um, I watched Captain Phillips in a similar manner where I didn't yeah. have the subtitles coming up for what the pirates were saying, and I just kind of thought, well, that just puts me in the same boat as Tom Hanks, then, doesn't it? Because yeah. he doesn't know what the fuck they're saying either, and it kind as of it, added to the movie. It can totally as this level of uh, this kind of dis- uh, disorientating sort of level of of kind of fear and paranoia on it um, so if I was to say did you enjoy this movie I'm going to get the impression that much like a lot of the cinema fare of this time period um, it didn't really float your boat no I mean I'm not a massive jelly fan anyway but to be fair like, obviously I read the synopsis so at least when I was watching I could kind of have a rough idea of what was going on I read through Wikipedia um, yeah. you sometimes have far more comprehensive plots than others this one I think <laughs> reasonable you know like the, the main points um and i did actually think it sounded really good from the plot so i probably will seek this out at some point and watch it yeah um, just for the purposes of completion i've watched sort of the full year that i've chosen um that i've sorry that's been picked for me like um 
but yeah, it's, pro- it's probably not for me just because I'm not really that into these Italian Jallo movies. I like some of them. Like I enjoy Tenebrae. I love the video nasties that we watched. That was probably one of the best ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Bird with the Crystal Plumage, I've watched it and I enjoyed it. I think when the first time I watched it, and then I watched it back and turned it off. <laughs> um, so I probably just wasn't in the Poor movie Ricky, Ricky Morgan's listening to this he's just fainted yeah he's just going right you're never Ricky wake on. up wake up Ricky you're never coming on Helming ever again and <laughs> um, what else have I watched I've watched I've watched a few of them I've watched my f- a good fair few of, of the Jallets just because I kind of think you know I'm, there's going to be something in there that I like um, yeah, it's just not so. I think I said to you, my favourite Jello is the editor, and that's the one taking the piss out of them all. Yeah, it's, it's taking the piss, but it's done in a very. You can tell that they love Jellos. Oh, totally. It's a complete love letter. But I, I kind of, I think I enjoy the editor more than I actually enjoy any of the films that it's kind of, you know, playing homage to. It'll be interesting to see because at the time of recording this, Andy, um, you have not heard 1971's episode. Uh, which has um, a review of Aldo Lado's Short Night of the Glass Doll um, and Bo's very much like you Bo's like, ah, I like a couple but I'm not, I wouldn't say I, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of Jallo and he watched yeah. that movie and he pretty much told me on air uh, which the listeners will have heard by this point he is now a fan that movie, that movie like... fucking shredded him in two like it should because it's fucking amazing um, okay. So, yeah, I mean, if someone says to me, you know, it recommends me a Jello, I don't go, well, it's a Jello, I'm not going to watch it because I don't really like him. I will I will watch them, you know, and I'll, I'll check that one out as well. Yeah. Um, it's just not a genre that I always kind of gravitate to. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there are, you know, a fair few in there that are quite incredible. Right, let's let's move on then. Uh, let's move to one of your picks. Um, this is Alice, Sweet Alice. Um <laughs> Synopsis for this one uh, After a young girl is brutally murdered During her first communion Her strange and withdrawn older sister Becomes the main suspect Now like I say this movie is called Alice Sweet Alice um, Or as I like to call it Rip off of Don't Look Now um, Because So I put two or three things in this movie Scarily like Don't Look Now Like, yeah. like um, To the point where I was like It's difficult not to say That we're just watching A kind of proto slasher version Of Don't Look Now I'm just I'm just putting that out there um, So this one stars Linda Miller and Mildred Clinton Polly Shepard um, Niles McMaster And the first cinematic appearance Of a little girl called Brooke Shields mm. Brooke Shields first appearance um, this is another one where Paul E. Shepard who plays Alice in this movie was actually 19 <laughs> so a lot older than the 12 year old Alice yeah. that was in the movie and once again I, I don't mind that because there are plenty of movies that I've seen where someone is supposed to be 18 and they have like they, they have crow's feet on the side of the eyes, tell me that yeah. they've they've been on the th- this earth for about thirty three years. Yeah, you know I mean it's not the end of the world to be honest if they kind of look the part. I mean, Sissy Space it did kind of look, you know, like a, oh, a teenage girl. Obviously, I joked about Buddy Repperton. I mean, that's ridiculous. He <laughs> looks like John Travolta's dad. Um, but yeah, this girl, you know, she yeah she can pass for a twelve year old in this, even though she's much older. It's fine. It's, it's funny because like before we started recording this again, like we were we were warming up. You know, doing our me 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 me's, na 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 na's, um, mm. like we do all the thing, and then we, we do our like our like we do our, like a scrum chant where we're building ourselves up. We do the hacker, 
Um, and then we kick into to recording because that's uh, people might not know that, but that's how me and Andy behind the curtain, Duncan, giving away trade secrets now. We do. We, we we have to we have to equally come up with equal amount of insults as compliments to the other one, and then do them rapid fire back and back and back and back, and then we record. And that's that's part of the methodology. <laughs> um, <laughs> to recording. Um, but you said to me, and that got pretty tedious after like thirty odd episodes of doing. And I said I was running out of insults. It, it really was. It was just like it got to the the witty level of so's your face, prick, your yeah, mum. Yeah, your 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 mum, your mum, your like, mum's mum, <laughs> your mum's your grand, <laughs> your grand's mum, <laughs> your grandmum's old. She's old. <gasps> How dare you, sir? Um, ah, well, I never. Uh, I bid you good day. Um, but yeah, so you said to me before we did this, you picked this while you, wa- you watched it back, and it had not held up in the way that you remembered it holding up, which is really interesting because I had the reversal. <laughs> I'd seen oh, really? Alice Sweet Alice many moons ago and thought, meh. Um, and when you put it on your list, I was like, okay, <laughs> if Andy says so, can't wait to rip into this one, tell Andy why he's <laughs> wrong. And I watched it, got to the end, and I was like, actually, there's a whole hell of a lot of Alice Sweet Ass that I really like. Mm. Um, even though it is heavily ripped off of Don't Look Now. Um, so what was it like? So, right, before we, we, we jump into more negative aspects from your point of view, um, is this from a while ago, and it's just always stuck in your head as a really, really good movie from the 70s? Yeah, a long, long time ago, just really because of the killer in the mask, um, yellow flashes Mac, weird plastic mask um, with a distorted face, and it just kind of stays with you, isn't it? that sort of thing when you when you see that when you're younger. Um, so yeah, revisited it, um, and just thought, yeah, it's not that good. I mean, it just doesn't hold up. I think that's the problem, and that's what I said coming into this. That's kind of going to be one of my main tests for whether these films are good enough to kind of go through to the final episode. Does it hold up by today's stand? Not necessarily by today's standards, because obviously films look so much different now. But you know, you watch a film like Jaws; it's fucking absolutely timeless. You know that kind of thing. Not that I'm comparing that to this, but it's, it doesn't hold up, unfortunately. Alice, sweet Alice, it just doesn't. Um, it made section three of the nasties list. Did indeed. And that's kind of where it belongs on the video nasties list. They're a bit shit. These films. They've got some really jarring stuff in there. There is some really interesting imagery. Um, some quite creepy stuff. Um, really drawing draw brutal, violent kill scenes in it, which are quite nasty. Um, the killer in the mask is really fucking creepy. Um, there is some terrible acting in it, unfortunately, uh, and that's kind of what ages it the most, I think. Also, the fact that I did see a really terrible, terrible quality um, version as well. I'm sure there are better quality versions out there, but that really kind of made it look kind of degraded and very ropey and um, with the way it was shot. Um, but yeah, there is some creepy shit in there. Um, you know, it's, it's about a killer going yeah. around killing people. Once again, it's that idea of... It always like... This to me, I, th- I find it really... I find sometimes that there are people that are so quick to say, well, you know, well, you know, this is the first slasher movie. Well, no, this is the first slasher movie. And their justifications for why certain movies appear in certain positions um, as slasher movies or not slasher movies or whatnot are, are really interesting. You know, the big the big argument has always been that, like, um, for a lot of people anyway, that 1974's uh, Black Christmas is, you know, it's the first slasher movie. Um, yeah. 
And I can see that. I, I can see that. You know, equally, I've heard many people say that, you know, if you watch something like Bay of Blood from 71, you know, Bava pretty much sets up the template for what what people copy more than Halloween, mm. um, which is the idea of people dying by the lake. In fact, you know, on Friday part one and two, they copy <laughs> like sequences, including a very interesting kill, uh, which is copied in Friday part two, oh, which involves completely uh, it's same position, same camera angle, and everything. But like people are, and then there's the, the kind of purists that, or there's people that will see something like, well, Psycho is to an extent. Um, and I, I disagree with that. I think a lot of these things have kind of proto-slasher proto elements. I mean, Torso, for the second half of that movie, is ostensibly a, a slasher movie. Um, you know, the first half is definitely kind of feels feels Jallo-esque, but yeah. the second half is, you know, it's a slasher movie. You know what I mean? Right? You don't know who the killer is. There's a misdirection as to who you think the killer is. Um, yeah. But it's, it's a mass killer going around killing people mm. um, and there's a reveal at the end which once again makes it there's you know it, it's this weird thing where in the 70s people opt more to, to lean towards proto slasher as a term um, because it doesn't have some of the tropes of you know uh, teenagers running around and all these things and all the rest yeah, I can kind of see that to an extent to an yeah. extent but to me Alice Sweet Alice encompasses a lot of what people classes a slasher movie and what I yeah. love about it as well is that and, and I'm using the word love against the things that I really like about the movie there's a couple of things that I don't think hold up well I don't think the cinematography is all that great at all very yeah. much like yourself I did see a copy which was actually not bad quality but it still looked old it still looked old and it, the, the certain shots just didn't look great some of the acting is pretty bad the, the kind of obese neighbour downstairs is a terrible actor um, not good at all. His performance no, is wholly unconvincing, and the yeah. the the reveal of the killer in this one, um, she is a wee bit too over the top, a wee bit too the scenery, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, which is slightly, and then you know the the, the justification for it's a bit mince as well. On the flip side, the the actual violent scenes in this movie are super violent, um, mm. and you know uh, really gory. Like there's a the woman on the stairs that gets her legs slashed, her foot stabbed through, her hand stabbed, um, and it's all done. And what I love about it is they just keep thrusting the knife at the camera. Yeah. Even if they're missing, they just keep doing it because they understand that's what will terrify the audience. Mm. It's not the impact. The impact will get a wince, but the fact that the knife is continuing to stab, that's what jars people. That's what scares them. Um, the guy who gets the first reveal of what the kill who the killer is, the dad of, um, of Alice... Who, who sees the reveal of the killer uh, who is ultimately tied up and then pushed out a building to his death um, his screams are I mean like I was watching it going holy fuck you know like just really 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 brutal and, and goes for the jugular on it and yeah, I really I think that's like, obviously why this stuck with me because the, the you know the, the violent bits that you, you sort of have to wait a good 20 minutes you know they are quite well spaced apart when it does happen they are really fucking violent and really jarring and brutal yeah I love that I love that aspect about it and I, I love the the misdirection of it overall even though if you have seen Don't Look Now it's telegraphed um, it really really is telegraphed and right it's not a midget but they they basically they didn't they found someone that looked like the midget um, yeah. so they didn't have to stretch that far 
um, to do it, and it is more than just homage. I think it's it's kind of ripping off. Um, mm. But yeah, I was surprised by how much I actually really enjoyed this movie coming back to it because, like I say, the first time I saw it, and we're going back well over a decade, I remember watching it just going, eh. I went through a phase of trying to track them really obscure slasher movies. I think we all do uh, mm. as, as horror fans growing up. And I remember this was one of those ones that was, was doing the the kind of early rims on on someone's blog page or some fucking Angel Fire website. Um, and I was like, oh, I need to track this down. Uh, downloaded it from Napster back in the day. Uh, it took like about a week to download. Um, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't the greatest copy. I remember watching it and just going, all right. Just shows how your tastes do change, which is why I will like I'll revisit films every every sort of so many years you know if i don't like a movie but i know i probably should mm-hmm. i'll go back to it i am actually going to go back and watch uh, carrie again now just because i kind of think yeah i'm probably due another watch of that and this is one of those films isn't it you know you watch it it's obviously quite infamous you know it did make the the, the section three list the yep. video and if it wasn't on the sort of the main prosecuted titles and you kind of think yeah i'll give it a go in another few years time and yeah, I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it more the second time. Yeah, I was. I was surprised. Um, now let's go for a movie that you've put on your list. I will be honest. I think this is goofy as hell, and I'm not much of a fan. Um, it does have a couple of moments that I think are quite interesting, but for the for the most part, every time I've watched it since the first watching, I've liked it less and less. Uh, and that is the time that dreaded sundown, um, directed by Charles B. Pierce, he of Boggy Creek fame. Um, he did the first one, Legend of Boggy Creek, and the second one, which no one needs to watch the first one because it's goofy. Don't watch the second one. Um, this movie stars Ben Johnson, Andrew Prine, uh, Don Wells, and Jimmy Clem. Um, synopsis The movie is a semi documentary based on the real-life string of mysterious killings that terrorised the people of Texarkana, Texas in 1946. The murder spree became known as the Texarkana Moonlight Murders, just rolls off the tongue, eh, and ultimately would claim five lives and injure many others. The only description of the killer ever obtained was of a hooded man. To this day, no one has been convicted and these murders remain unsolved. Um. Yeah, I'm. It's too goofy. <laughs> it's too goofy for me. I know that's really weird to say because I picked Doctor Black and Mister Hyde on my list. <laughs> yeah. But this movie tries to be serious in parts, and then you get the bumbling cop music and the 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 horrible cops in this movie. I honestly, oh my god, the cops in this fucking movie. Um, Oh, we're all gonna dress up like women. Oh no, he's wearing a dress. Oh my god, you know, just fucking, and the music, and the. But some of the killings are really cool, but the music, and the goofiness. Uh, There's that weird thing that Last House on the Left is where it's a real contrast. It's weird. It's like the. It's like, it's like let's not get too serious. You know, let's not let's not portray this real life event where people died and were terrorised in a serious light. Let's make it... And it is like... A, the funny thing is it says it's, it's a semi-documentary. It kind of is. It has narration in it. It has, you know, a lot of things where it, it sets up almost like the Crime Watch reconstruction <laughs> mm. of a lot of these events. 
but the tone is all over the place and it gets to the point that the tone's all over the place that it becomes super distracting for me I yeah. struggle to find out what what are we doing with a scene or do you want me to laugh is that is that what because I don't think I should laugh but I can't really take this scene serious either um, it's it has generated this is why these movies that kind of grew in infamy um, because it was there for a wee while and people couldn't see it for the longest time and then Scream Factory uh, put it out I think it was Screen Factory. Uh, well, the first ones to put out Eureka over in the UK have put it out on Blu-ray. Um, yeah, well, I bought the Eureka version for like a fiver in their sale. Um, but I would recommend if anyone's got a region A, you know, multi-region player, the um, Screen Factory version. You also the other movie, which is apparently a better, much better movie than this one. The what movie? Sorry. Inclu- Sorry? The what movie, sorry, do you get with it? I can't remember what it's called, but it's the director's, another film by the same director. <sighs> right. It's apparently a far superior movie to this, right. um, in, in most people's opinions, and that's on the Screen Fracture version. Um, unfortunately, it is missing from this version, but it is a really nice print, actually, the Eureka one, and if you can find it cheap, it's well worth getting. Yeah, maybe um, add it to the collection as a point of interest, you know, but like I say, I just... I really fucking like it. Frustrates me this movie because I absolutely adore fifty percent of this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I do, I, I like the voiceover. I think it fits perfectly into a movie like this. I really think it sets the ominous tone of you know this was happening and and like because obviously you've got this thing where like a murder will happen. It's horrendous and it shakes the town, and then nothing happens for a while when everyone kind of settles back down and just when everyone's sort of relaxing again another murder happens um i think the death scenes are really fucking realistic and brutal i think like picture the scene you know you're just with your girlfriend in a car parked up in a, in a quiet lane and this guy's like stalking you he's he's purposely you know follows you there and he's stalking you and he waits for a moment when you're vulnerable and he and he strikes um and what a fucking terrifying thing for the guy you know he's basically you know rendered helpless you know he will take the guy out first because he's probably you know they're gonna offer up the most resistance and then while the guy's incapacitated he can do whatever the fuck he wants to the woman i think it's absolutely fucking terrifying and i've got this film on in the background while we're recording and watching this film on mute is even more terrifying because you don't get the goofy music you yeah. don't get the goofiness of the cops um, you know, there's the scenes where like one of the cops is just driving a car like he's a 12 year old that's just been put behind the wheel for the first time. And it's like it, it's almost like kind of gets away with being almost charming because it's ridiculous. Because mm-hmm. you've had this whole scene beforehand where he can't find the keys to the to the, to the police car. And, you know, and, and as he walks back to the station, he certainly checks on the wheel because he just doesn't know where the fuck it is. You know, he's just incompetent bumbling cops and they do this incompetent bumbling police thing in the uh, last house on the left. And it's a really weird choice in that film as well, because it's kind of like you've got Martin Cove, who's like the villain from The Karate Kid in that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's almost like they've got this stupid, like the, the cops have got their own theme song that comes on. And it's like right out of like some weird cartoon. It's so bizarre. It's such a weird choice. Um, because if they kept the, the serious tone of the film all the way through, I'd want this on the fucking, I'd want this in the final. I really would like I think some of the scenes where he's like attacking people in their car is genuinely true like like it's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. I really think it is. I think from a horror point of view, I think it's I think it's the scariest film on the on, of the 10 for me just because I can imagine it happening and things like mm-hmm. this do happen. It's just really let down by some sort of go- just like you say it's the goofiness. 
and it's really frustrating because for me like if i'm going to go by my own rules of a film needs to you know for it to to make the final the film needs to hold up it doesn't and it only doesn't because of that um so it is a real shame because uh, I really fucking like it. It reminds me a lot of the um, Zodiac film. I think it's has really got the same feel to it. Yeah, I, it's, it's, the, it's the thing about when I watch the Zodiac movie, I genuinely think the Zodiac movie is fucking amazing, absolutely incredible, but it's because it sticks the tone all the way through it. There's just this yeah. foreboding tone all the way through that movie, and every time I start to feel myself get drawn in by the town that dreaded sundown, the the kind of flip it on me and then they bring that it's just and it's not even just like a, a to me a, a kind of moderate level of goofiness it's so over the top and so against the grain of what the rest of the movie's doing it's difficult um, yeah. and I mean I I thoroughly enjoyed the remake but you know I didn't love the remake either I thought the remake made a couple of mistakes particularly I didn't really like the ending to the remake no which, I mean it, it was incredibly well shot yeah um, it looked absolutely superb, um, and the ending is shit. Yeah, and that annoyed shit out of me. Lame, like it's frustrating. I think the first time I watched this film, I was frustrated by the ending, but on rewatch, I think it's perfect because he gets away, and there's a really tense scene where the police do track him down, and they nearly catch him, and he gets shot in the leg. And I really love the ending to this film. Yeah, um, I don't want to see the killers caught, and I especially don't want to see that the killers have like teamed up with some other guy who <laughs> can put an advert in the paper. Or I can't even whatever it was. I can't even remember. Um, what a fucking letdown! Because that movie lets itself down as well. It's like, can't we just get it right? Because the subject matter for me is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a town in panic, basically held hostage by fear never knowing when the guy's going to strike again. And what's even more terrifying is it's not like you can even be safe in your own home where most no. people feel the safest. You know, like just when you think he's attacking all these people on like Lover's Lane, yeah. he then gets a couple of people in their own home and then really chases her down in a, in a thing that's really reminiscent of the final bit in Halloween for me. Mm-hmm. Um, where she's kind of, you know, trying to, you know, trying to raise, get help from the neighbours, and she can't, and she, you know, and he kills her, and obviously they do a similar thing in Scream as well, where she's just about to get help and doesn't quite. Um, I'm really frustrated. I, I wanted to put this through, um, and I may, I think I might have thought I could have pulled the wool over your eyes, but and got away with <laughs> it through. But I just can't argue with what you're saying about the goofiness. Yeah. I can't. I'll like, make, I'll, I'll make the, I'll make the final decision interesting. Let's yeah. put it that way. Let's right, let's change pace. Let's change Go pace. Um, so let's let's talk about a movie that that stars the director in the leading role. Um, a movie which is the the final part of a kind of spiritual trilogy. Uh, a movie which Bruce Campbell says is his favourite scary movie. Although I get the feeling that Bruce Campbell may be doing that. Ironically, I don't know. <laughs> um, let's talk about the Tenant. So Roman Polanski, is uh, that Roman Polanski? Yes, Roman Polanski. I didn't realise he was in it. I didn't realise that was him. He doesn't. He doesn't give himself any credit in the movie at all. So the actor okay. that's the the character of Tchaikovsky is never actually. It, it doesn't come up in the 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 credits at the start or at the end at all. Okay, well, that makes sense. That's he d- deliberately leaves it out. So yeah, the tenant. Um, directed by Roman Polanski, starring Roman Polanski and Isabella Angie, uh, Melvin Douglas and Joe Van Fleet. Um, the synopsis, a bureaucrat rents a Paris apartment where he finds himself drawn into the rabbit hole of a dangerous paranoia. So this is the third part of the uh, Polanski apartment trilogy. 
Uh, the first one is Repulsion from 1965, one of the two true greats of 60s horror cinema. Rosemary's Baby, which comes out a couple of years later, which is yep. up there for me as one of the greatest horror movies ever made. Um, it's another one which I would assign the tag of Masterpiece to. Um, mm-hmm. And then he takes a bit of time, does a couple other things, and then comes back um, almost a decade after doing Rosemary's Baby and closes it out with The Tenant. Um a movie which he played lead actor in, directed, and was co-screenwriter. So this one was like very hands-on, yeah. Polanski affair, um, like Stallone in The Expendables, similar, <laughs> almost the same. So <laughs> a tours um, of the genre <laughs> uh, of of the respected genres doing what they do best. No sarcasm at all. Absolutely. So- <laughs> Um, yeah, I hadn't seen this one. This is really fucking great thriller. Um, yeah, don't know if I'd call it horror, in my opinion. Um, yes, but it's, it's horror in as much as Rosemary's Baby's horror, I think, because yeah. the, the the reason people say Rosemary's Baby's a horror movie is because it's got satanists in it and the devil yeah. in it, and that's yeah. in itself is kind of tenuous. I think. Yeah, it, it deals with a, essentially repulsion, Rosemary's Baby, and. Um, the tenant all deal with the same thing, which is paranoia. Like mm. that, like on its level, and how paranoia can cripple you with fear, which it does to him. So the horror is more inflicted on the character as opposed to inflicted on the audience. Yeah. Um, it's great. Yeah, like you say, it's just about a guy sort of descent into madness and paranoia. Um, you don't quite know whether he's crazy, whether he's imagining it, whether he really is under attack by these people. Um keeps you guessing i think it requires a lot of patience this movie it is yep. quite long um and it is quite sort of plodding in a way um if if you're expecting something different if you're expecting uh you know a, a horror movie where lots of stuff's happening lots of stuff thrown at you. this is a very subtle film yep. um but i do think if you if you are willing to invest a couple of hours watching it it really does pay off by the end um it's a great performance by him, like I said, I didn't know that was Roman Polanski. Yeah, it's, it's weird because it's not the thing you think of with Roman Polanski, and um, no. as I think, like especially at this time period, I mean, Roman Polanski is is fucked up, really. <laughs> at this point, his wife was murdered by Charles Manson's gang, um, so which uh, is horrendous. I mean, I'm watching Aquarius at the minute. I don't know if that's going to feature. I know Tarantino's apparently doing his next yeah, movie. I, isn't he? That, can, that, that can't get quicker into my eyeballs if it wanted to. Like, I'd like yeah, when that was in him, stuff especially like, if the cap. Oh, give them all Oscars. Give them all Oscars. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, what uh, you literally can't imagine that happening to you, can you? I mean, no. it's fucking, like, literally the stuff of nightmares. You know, we say, you know, like what's happening in the, the town that dreaded sundown's brutal. I can't, I literally can't get my head around that happening to you. Um, yeah, and I mean, it has... And, and I mean, it is worth saying, I know a lot of people, and I don't disagree, Roman Polanski did sleep or rape, depending on... What, what the stance is obviously he's never been convicted uh, but you know he did sleep with someone underage yeah um, but it doesn't take away from the fact that fuck me imagine that happening to you yeah regardless of, of you know the, the things you've got up to in your personal life it's still um yeah truly horrific um so was this after that had happened or before um well it must have been 76 um after yeah, Shanti was murdered 1969. Yeah, so after he did, uh, so he did Rosemary's Baby, was riding a high, um, and then she died, and then he kind of went a bit nuts. 
Um, yeah, they're probably not too difficult to tap into the character that he's playing in this. I imagine it's uh, if you if you plummeted the depths that he probably has emotionally, it's probably not that hard to pull out a performance like this. But it is a fucking great performance. Yeah, I mean the, the last um, the last that I heard on the the old uh, although once again does not justify like Roman Polanski broke the law um, and they're still pursuing him for it, even though the. The, the girl who's now very much a lady because this is like 40 years now I think the case is yeah. being open for um, has basically at this point urged that it be dropped she's like that she, she want to pursue it or whatever but the, the courts are like we've spent a lot of money now uh, the machine is moving he cannot set yeah. foot on this soil or he'll be arrested and that's why he, he, all his movies are, are done in Europe now um, and that's just the way it'll be um, yeah. I, I love The Tenant for, for a couple of reasons I don't necessarily think it's the best in the Apartment Trilogy overall. Rosemary's Baby certainly is. Um, I think Repulsion is just a tour de force. It's fucking amazing descent into paranoia. But what I love about The Tenant is that this is the one where he's like that I have acquired very much like uh, Liam Neeson, a certain set of skills. (laughs) <laughs> which allows me to craft a much longer movie with a much deliberate slowing of the pace and a build-up of just this guy's descent into utter madness. Um, and he is. The, the, the further we go into this movie, the more you see how psychologically broken this man gets. And like you say, the beauty of watching it is, is it in his head? Is mm. it Because the, the movie kind of starts to play with you and, and show you that well, maybe it is because look at the way they're talking but then listen to what he's hearing and who is correct here and then it leads up to this question of uh, what was this character always like this is there something wrong with the apartment or is this a game that the people in there play to make you go insane they keep pushing yeah. you and it's mm. I think it's wonderful um, I, I will be honest with you there, there is a slight giggle of delight when you see Polanski walking around dressed as a woman um, and then saying they're forcing me to be a woman um, but there's some creepy gnarly things like tooth oh, there's a tooth buried in the wall yeah, it's just there's something about that that just unnerves Weird, me. Creepy shit. I mean, it's good as well because like they keep like I think the old guy says it like accused him of taking a woman up into his apartment. Yeah, like you're not meant to do that. You're not meant to have a woman in your apartment. And then the next minute he's dressed as a woman, so it's like fuck. Has that old guy seen him dressed? Like you just don't really know what the fuck's going on, do you? Because you think like obviously he's hallucinating stuff. So are we seeing it from his point of view mm-hmm. or are we seeing what's really happening? And it is really fucking interesting right up until the end. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's just really, I think it's just a really, really, really well-made movie. And that is Polan, uh, that's Polanski through and through. That's what he does. He just crafts really, really, really good movie. He's an auteur. You know I mean? That's very early on. He established himself as a very unique voice in cinema. He's been copied and replicated God knows how many times by God knows how many directors. And this is him in the 70s where he is very much a broken man. Um, and there is there is that. It would not surprise me if that's why he inserts himself into the role as someone losing it because he went yeah. through losing it and the, the, his performance is brilliant you know for, for a guy that's not an actor um, his performance is you know captivating it, at times it's weird because I thought for someone that is so, such an interesting presence on screen why I'd not seen him in anything else yeah there you go um, yeah so there you go <laughs> it makes perfect sense now right so let's 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 move on from that let's move on from that and um, if I was to say to you 
the Goonies. <laughs> if yeah. I was to say to you, Scrooged, Andy. If I was to say to you, Lethal Weapon, 1, 2, 3, and 4, Superman, 1 and 2, what do they all have in common? Uh, don't know. The director. Really? A little guy called Richard Donner who directed... Richard Donner? What? He did... Uh... Yeah, he did Lethal Weapons 1 through 4, Superman 1 and 2, Scrooge, The Goonies. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, I know he did that, but I thought you were going to say, come on to Who Can Kill a Child. I was no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, we're going to finish with that one because uh, I want to get this heavy hitter out the okay, way. Okay, here we, here we go. Then. Yep. This, is the, uh, this is the one. Right, this is the one that everyone expects to go through. Yeah. Right. Um, because, like, it's the omen. Uh, so, yeah, directed by Richard Donner, who has a, a real powerhouse of cinema. This guy's made a lot of money for a lot of people, and he made a whole hell of a lot of money with this movie. Um, stars Gregory Peck, Lee Rimmick, David Warner. Do love a bit of David Warner. Uh, Billy Whitelaw, Harvey Stevens. He plays little Damien. Uh, synopsis is, Mysterious deaths surround an American ambassador. Could the child that he's raising actually be the Antichrist? I love how they just make that jump. Fuck or dying? Is your son the Antichrist? Uh, I don't know. I didn't ask him. Are you the Antichrist? It's a bloody big coincidence because he turns out that he is. (laughs) He says no. (laughs) What do you mean you don't believe him? Just because he's called Damien. My son's the end. <laughs> so it says the devil's own son, just in case you don't want it, what Antichrist is. Um, so whole, covering all bases there. Yeah, whole lot of whole lot of interesting uh, stuff about this movie before we start talking about it. Uh, this is the movie that really understood how to market itself, like really slick, slick marketing. In fact, the budget of this movie uh, <laughs> was 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 more than doubled. In advertising alone, so that the, the movie was made for two point eight million. They spent well over five million um, in marketing this movie and advertising, and it paid off. Um, and another kind of really funny bit of a little factoid: Jerry Goldsmith um, yeah. did not attend the Oscars in nineteen. 19- 76 or 77 whenever it was for this no he refused to go because he'd been nominated god knows how many times um, and had never won and was like I'm not going to the fucking Oscars for the Omen and the year he didn't go was the year he won Uh, (laughs) Jerry how far away are you are you in the are you nearby you've you've won (laughs) Um, this one has so many like, like writers did not want to be involved with this project because they thought it was sacrilegious, right. which which kind of makes me laugh. Um, but the, one of the really interesting things, I think, is testimony very similar to how we were talking about Polanski, kind of playing the descent to paranoia and kind of you know mental uh, anguish because he'd been through it. It's kind of similar to how Gregory. Peck came involved with the project. I mean, Gregory Peck, for all intents and purposes, had retired before making this movie. Um, and he accepted the role because it interested him being the tortured father because um, he hadn't been around the previous year when his son committed suicide. Oh, God. So okay. he basically wanted to tap into that that vein of anguish, that vein of pain to bring to the performance. Um, yeah. And Gregory Peck, uh, Gregory, I was going to call him Prick, that's terrible. Uh, Gregory <laughs> bad Duncan uh, Peck is one of the many reasons why you should watch The Omen The Omen's a complete package isn't it really as a movie it has yeah. it has pretty much everything firing 
on all cylinders at the kind of the highest levels. The story's bitching. The performance, even out of a child, um, mm. is surprisingly good because children, children can sink a movie, look at Bob and um, House by the Cemetery. That's all I'm saying. Um, you know, they can sink a movie, but he's, he's brilliant in this. You've some great performances. Love David Warner in this one. Love Gregory Peck in this one. Love uh, Lee Rimmick in this, this one as well. The, the Thorns are just this wonderfully tragic couple that just want to love a child um not in that way yeah so. yes just stress that one um but you know Polanski. <laughs> oh, no, oh come on natasha oh, kinski there's a whole lot of fucking a lot of paedophilia in this episode <laughs> <don't you? laughs> I know. i'm gonna blame you andy um even though i think we're one apiece two apiece uh yeah. no two against one um that, yeah. Not a competition. It's not a competition. I'm going to play the rape card. Um, never play the rape card, ladies and gents. It's horrible. Um, but yeah, so this movie is just. And I watched this one last year, so I didn't have to watch it again for the show. And I remember sitting down and just kind of sitting back and marveling at just how how good this movie is. It's really yeah. just. It's a really fucking good horror movie. This is how so you make many a horror iconic movie. scenes, isn't there? Yeah, this is how you make a good horror movie. This is how you make an iconic horror movie. Yeah, and it's weird. Obviously, they did the remake as well, which is not terrible. It's um, not a bad they remake. Made the mistake of releasing it on the sixth of the sixth, two thousand and six. Bad which is idea. Actually... <laughs> hey, I said it's a bad idea. Well, did you like that six... as a gimmick? <laughs> well, this yeah, I know, but the six months and the sixth day and the sixth year is actually two thousand and five, isn't it? It is indeed. It is indeed. Well, obviously, Andy. people uh, won't have noticed that and they just go, oh, yeah, six, six, six. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, you know, the remake's fine. Um, the original is incredible, and the, it's just, yeah, there is so many iconic scenes. Like the, the my favourite thing, which really like stuck with me as a kid. I think I watched this film really, really young. Um, was just the whole uh, like the the spike on the photograph obviously foreshadowing the guy's death by getting closer every time the photograph was taken you know like in the in the image of the picture this spike is getting closer and closer to him and there's just something about that that really fucking freaked me out and then just the fact that obviously he gets impaled so that's an incredible scene like the scene at the zoo where all the animals are going crazy that's brilliant and um, i think this is one of them things you know where i was talking earlier about like getting it right first time like they, like they just got everything perfect. Like there's so many films that have tried sort of stolen little bits from this film. Yeah, no one's kind of managed to get it anywhere near as good. Um, yeah, I reviewed this on my show actually. I think for my uh, for my 70s uh, thing that I did, and yeah, it, this totally holds up. I mean, the you know the uh, the nanny just fucking committing suicide <laughs> in front of the in front of a party. So fucking iconic, man! It's insane. Look and at me, Damien. It's all for you. Yeah, man, and like like that, and and, and jumping from such a height as well. That, oh, yeah. Like you then, go, then you then smash back through into the fucking house through the window. Yeah, right? I, I, you know, ironically, had she still been living, she would have had to clean up that mess. I mean, it's <laughs> she would have done. She probably <laughs> she made sure she did the job right. I mean, you've got the scene to see of the guy getting his head chopped off by the huge like. Is it a pane of glass? It's a glass. Yeah, that's right. You've got that scene, um, like the scene in the cemetery where he finds out that his mum's a jackal. There's just so much fucking good stuff in there. It's so great, so atmospheric. Yeah. Like you've got the, the the storms that happen, you know, and the score and the score's just, phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, like 
on this film. This I, is great. I think this is the one that's the given, isn't it? That, that's got to go through. I, I kind of think so. I kind of think that you know, uh, yeah, as as. It's just a fucking incredible horror movie. I think that's the, what, what got me watching it again. It's just I'm like that. There, there is, there are certain movies that just make it look easy. You know, like if you were showing someone how to make a horror movie, you show them The Omen. Yeah. That's how you make a horror movie. You show them mm-hmm. The Exorcist. That's how you make a horror movie. Um, yeah. It's it just it is just it just makes it look really easy, um, and it flows so well, and it's just a phenomenal phenomenal movie I, th- I think it's yeah. I think it's incredible no, nobody's managed to do an evil child film better since. no they've tried Problem and Child really tried, tried, just, tried you know, as well Problem the Child next... just doesn't it, it almost got there almost got there yeah <laughs> and now I'm laughing because when I said think of the Goonies and then you thought I was talking about who can kill a child well I was thinking what connection <laughs> what connection is to ki- is who can kill a child got to the Goonies Lethal Weapon Superman probably that was the first thing I said to you was think the Goonies and they've just got this like sinister version of what happens if the Goonies had killed the Fratellis um, yeah <laughs> that's where I thought you were going and then I thought Christopher Reeve he was in Children of the Dump <laughs> forgot about the Omen just because I think I knew it was going through, I thought we probably won't bother talking about that. And I'm sure we're going <laughs> on to this fucking weird film. Oh right! So <laughs> the last one that I've, the last one I've chosen um, is a particular fave of mine, right? And this is one that I've been, you know, I've been trying to shoehorn shoehorn this in to review on teapots for about two years. Right. Um, and every time I get a combination that I quite like, um, a show does the other movie that I'm wanting to do. Yeah. Um, in or around when I want to record them like that I will not be recording well that. you finally got what you wanted finally got what I wanted um, so this is Who Can Kill a Child directed by Narcissus Ibanez Serrado uh, I'm fairly sure I butchered his name um, the synopsis for this one a couple of English tourists arrive in an island where all the ch- children have gone crazy and are murdering the adults um, so let's get some factoids about this one. The film was simit- was released simultaneously as Would You Kill a Child and Death is Child's Play in the UK. So two different titles at the same time in the UK, wholly misleading. Um, but they did the same in America where it was called Trapped and Island of the Damned, released at the same time. Um, originally the director wanted the character of Tom to be played by Anthony Hopkins you may need to get your checkbook out uh, because well you say that but Anthony Hopkins is doing fucking anything these days yeah but back last in the Transformers movie but well, he did Westworld he was good in Westworld Andy he was great in Westworld yeah, yeah. He was good in although Westworld. he was just being Anthony Hopkins though. he was really he was just like oh, hello Clarice wait one second this is not the movie that I should be in <laughs> never mind I'll keep going <laughs> anyway <laughs> you come in here with your cheap shoes Taffins and nipples, doesn't it, ma'am? Um, anyway, that's uh, Hopkins. It just happens too easy. Um, so, for the geeks out there that like a little bit of the cinema, um, you will know, uh, and I think it's fairly obvious that uh, this movie pays a complete homage to The Birds by Hitchcock. Um, there are a lot of sequences. Particularly, there's one where I'm like, this is, couldn't be any more of the birds if it tries. Where the woman comes out to get her children to come back in the house, and then you camera pans around, and then there's just a whole lot of children in the mountain behind her. I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, this is the birds, um, which I think is pretty fucking amazing. Um, so yeah, this movie is nihilistic as fuck. Mm. Um, and it's kind of why I love it. It's that kind of 1970s horror movie that just 
doesn't want to leave you a hopeful message at the end. Um, and what I love about it as well is it kind of starts off schlocky. It gives you like that kind of Mondo movie opening of like just a lot of real life footage of people just getting. And this is why I'm surprised it never made the nasty list. This one should have been totally on the band nasty list because yeah. it does what a lot of those movies we looked at shoehorning to try and give them a bit of credibility. Yeah, absolutely. It starts off as well with that horrendous like eight minutes of exploitative documentary yeah. footage of Auschwitz. Yeah, just just mondoed up to the max. It's like this is what we do. We show you lots of real life horror and we'll we'll pass it off into this movie and then we'll juxtapose it with a real movie and everything's cool because we've shocked you. Um, yeah, which is really stay with me as well because uh, for anyone that's not seen it or anyone that's not going to bother watching this, it's like it's horrific. I thought. I, I was literally on the verge of messing you again. What are we doing documentaries now, are we then? Because I yeah. was really annoyed that you'd made me sit through this for eight minutes of basically like like horribly like emaciated, skinny, dead bodies being bulldozed into a mass grave. Yeah. And there's just something like horrible that really stayed with me. Like I find that really upsetting because like imagine that's one of your loved ones. It's deliberate. And that's the way their dead body is yeah. being treated, that it's just being fucking bulldozed into a great... It's, like, it's, it's horrific. And then, if that's not bad enough, it then goes on to show you like children that have been experimented on yeah. and have had their fucking hands cut off and they're just playing really happy with no hands. Like how kids just fucking get over stuff and get on with their lives when something horrific's happened. But it's... it's, it's like yeah, it's, 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 children. It's the blunt method of trying to convey a point. Yeah, and, and I thought, what are they trying to convey? Does this mean I'm meant to sympathise with all children? Because I'm sympathetic towards them Auschwitz kids, poor little bastards, but sympathise with the horrible little fuckers on this island. <laughs> I don't is that supposed to be what I'm meant to it's, do? It's supposed to, I think it's supposed to, to kind of put forward to you that um, look at all the awful things that adults do to kids. Like, everything that you saw in those video clips at the beginning are what adults have done to kids. Mm. Um so it kind of sets up the the scenario of it's it's like all the Mondo things do. It's like when you watch Cannibal Holocaust, and at the end of Cannibal Holocaust, they're like, you know, who are the real monsters? And you're like, yeah, I you know what I mean? It, right? it's, 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 it's that, but that's what all Mondo movies did. All Mondo yeah, movies, yeah, but it makes sense in Cannibal Holocaust because the the people on the receiving end of this like vengeance yep. are the people perpetrating. The, the horrific acts. Yeah. But we go from Auschwitz in the fucking 40s, fast forward 30 years to the 70s, they're not even, they're obviously not the same kids. Like, no, no, but some of them are supposed to be refugees, if memory serves. Some of them are supposed to be kind of refugees, and it's never really. It's just exploitative as fuck, isn't it? Just to, you know, like you say, just yes. to get horrible. But it, speaks, it speaks of the time, and it speaks of. Uh, I mean, this is a Spanish horror movie, but it speaks of the time and speaks of. Like I say, we covered a ton of these movies as part of the, the, the nasties. This was just what you did in European cinema. Yeah. You, made this, you made a grimy, dirty little horror movie and you used some real-life footage in there to, mm. to shock your audience at the start and then pose them a story based on the back of what they'd seen. And in the case of this one, what would happen if you know the kids, the innocents of the world actually turned out not to be so innocent. What happens if they rebelled against their parents um, and then rebelled against adults? Um, yeah. And, yeah, I know what you... It's like it's like trying to put a pin in with a sledgehammer. I mean, you know, tonally, it's... it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's far too aggressive for a movie like this. 
But the movie after that is, I think it's a, I, I, I defend this movie quite, I love this movie, I think this movie is really fucking good, because what, what it does is that it plays really much into that kind of folk horror thing that we have over in the UK of, it's like, it's like watching Eden Lake, you know what I mean? Essentially, it's adults yeah. going to a place where they shouldn't be, um, yeah. And kind of being tangled up in something that they don't understand and then trying to be adults to try and get out of it and realise that they have no power and no control and no say over anything that will happen there. This is not their dominion. Um, and it's, it's this movie leaves me feeling... The movie's got a quirkier ending, but there are sections in the middle of this movie that make me feel exactly the way Eden Lake makes me feel. Um, the thing that they do in this movie, which I think is that maybe slightly to its detriment of it, is it's never really truly explained what is happening with the kids. They just look at each other, and when they look at each other, that seems to be whatever's happening transferred to them. Yeah. Um, so much to the point that when one of them has seen her pregnant, the woman dies because her, essentially, her unborn child kills her from the inside out, rebels against the parent, which mm. is like Reminded a Reminded very... me of that um, Sean Hudson book, Nemesis. Yes! Yeah. Oh, have you read that? Yeah! I, I read did... that when I was about 14. Did Loved not it. know that you'd read that. Um, that's something we should talk about sometime. Um, yeah, so uh, it was really similar to that, just minus the penis chomping. That yeah. <laughs> Thank God. Um, <laughs> uh, too much, too much. Um, but yeah, so do you have... Um, it's never really explained, but what I love about this is that they can go from kids playing and kind of having fun and being like, you see kids, um, and then the camera will turn around and they're all just standing still and there's something completely unnerving about that. And yeah. as it's funny, the older you get, the more you fear the youth. And it's just an inherent thing. This movie was made for adults and there was mm. a lot of adults who went to see this movie and I imagine came out at the time slightly uncomfortable about being around kids maybe looking at yeah. their kids a slightly different way and that's great horror because that's what exactly what Hitchcock did with the birds yeah. and that's where it's that's where it's definitely leaning heavily into is people came out from watching the birds and were terrified if a seagull flew past them people are coming at this movie with the same feeling I think it's I think it's really really well done it is, is a, a very cheaply made movie but I think some of the messages are great I think this like the the implied violence against the old man who's beaten to death with his walking stick. When you see how happy the girl is hitting him, it's the, it's just the idea of that. The fact yeah. that the kids are playing pinata uh, mm. with a with a you know a, essentially a, a, a upside down man a man that's hung and they're you're toying with it pulling up and down like you would with a pinata. Yeah. I think is. You know, or, or the fact that this guy at the end is just like surrounded by kids that are attacking them and you know the, the police I like how he goes all Scarface at the end oh he does <laughs> like, although I don't remember Scarface running away like a little girl when the bullets run out yeah <laughs> <laughs> say hello um, to my little oh, oh. Uh, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> give me a minute but um, it's weird because I normally do really struggle to find children menacing like there's a lot of like films that I've watched with kids in um and I just think I just uh, like, it's not scary to me. You just kick them away. Yeah. But there's so many of them in this film, and in that like final scene at the end, especially like a lot of them are kind of verging on sort of mid to late teenagers, which is obviously a lot more fucking scary, especially when they've all got weapons. I mean, that's similar with Eden Lake, isn't it? You know, any one of them kids on their own, you could probably take them out. Yeah. When there's a fucking gang of them with that horrible mob mentality, 
that is all of a sudden pretty fucking terrifying As? because you know you do hear of these horrible like you do hear of like blokes going out in the street to tell off you know kids that are like you know kicking something at their car and end up getting fucking beaten to death by a group of teenagers it happens um you know it's happened in england i'm sure it happens everywhere else in the world as well um but we do have that horrible fucking youth thug culture in the uk i think maybe a bit more so than other places i don't know if that's true but mm-hmm. um you know i'm sure like where you've lived in that especially like around like glasgow and so just horrible fucking gangs of kids that don't give a shit they literally like they're not scared of anything or anyone and they want to make a name for themselves. So, like, they'd rather get the shit beaten out of them than back down to an adult in front of their mates. So they're pretty fearless as well, and there's something really fucking scary about that. Um, and obviously these kids, just, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Especially when they, like, and they're really manipulative as well, like, especially that end scene. Oh, yeah, the, the ending's brilliant, where they basically con the police into coming on the island to hunt for the parents that are already dead and as soon as they turn around they take the guns off the boat ferry them all off and then not only shoot shoot them but now they have boats to get back to the island and they're going to send yeah. a party off to to and infect more children yeah. spread spread the spread it on you know because all they have to do is look at another kid it's i i, I think it's it, there there are some like, like i say there's there's a couple of bits that are a little bit rough and the ending is like very much so out of tone with the rest of the movie but I think the movie itself is just a fucking really good mm. it's a bizarre little movie excuse me a bizarre little movie that comes out of like the Spanish scene where Spain is doing some horror movies but they're not you know the, the spotlight isn't really on them but very much like France Germany Belgium um, all these countries are playing off the fact that Italy is kind of cornered the market at this point in European horror cinema and all these countries just start experimenting with things and the Spanish ones are the most nihilistic. I don't know what it is and I don't know if it's because they had, you know, years under Franco and stuff of this, you know, just yeah, right. you know, this kind of dictatorship that, that kind of forced yeah. them to be more nihilistic but it comes mm. out in their cinema um, and, you know, specifically in this in this movie, that's exactly what Who Can Kill a Child gives you. So, there we go. Andy, believe it or not, that is us talk through ten movies. So, wow. so, so for the avoidance of doubt, listeners, uh, that was Alice, Sweet Alice, Burnt Offerings, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, Carrie, Mister Black. Uh, sorry, Mister Black, Doctor Black, and Mister White. Um, the tenant. All right, he went through a lot of medical training to be not to be yeah. called Mister. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you give him his proper title. So <laughs> another Mike Myers reference here. Um, uh, to the devil, a daughter. Who can kill a child? And the house with laughing windows. Myself and Andy, and they're going to take a break. We're going to do our stretches. We're going to do our insult compliment, insult compliment routine. Do a little couple of vocal warm ups. Obviously, send each other a couple of dick pics because you know what's a night without an Andy Blockley dick pic. But with all that in mind, uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to take a short break. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're also going to hear a track of some description, some bit of music to break it up. Me and Andy coming back right after this. This is a distress call from across time and space. I am Babs the automated biological support system for the humanoid known as the witch. 
which versus the Doomsday Clock is the weekly chronicle of his fight for survival and entertainment on the junk heap of the future. Episodes are transmitted in 15-minute pulses across the Dimensional Divide weekly for your listening pleasure. As you will learn, the future is not set in stone, and a flux capacitor is a girl's best friend. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Come join the rest of the Meat Popsicles in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash witch vs the doomsday clock. The replicant known as witch can be found on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr and Instagram by searching for T-H-E-W-Y-C-H. The Witch vs. The Doomsday Clock is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Now in the words of Lord Humongous. Just walk away, and there will be an end to the horror.
welcome back. So yeah, here we go. This is the bit of the show that everyone loves. This is the bit where you can hear the anguish in our voices as we take these 10 movies that were selected and try and whittle them down to two. Now, I think the tactic we've been using thus far is working really well and that tactic is to basically discount the ones that we know are not top five material. Yeah. Um, so let's let's do that and I'll kick us off first. I will say that the house with laughing windows can come off the list. Is there any objection to that? No, it's fine. No. Right. Uh, do you have one you would like to put forward as to be removed? Let's get rid of Alice. Sweet Alice doesn't hold up. Right, Alice, sweet Alice is off the list. It's not top five material. Right, let's move on for me then. I'm going to say to the devil a daughter, as much as I really like it, and I think it is, is a, it's a, quite a bold movie for, for Hammer, uh, the ending does let it down. There's no getting around that, and it would be difficult to argue otherwise. So do you agree? Yeah, I agree with that one. Right, uh, do you want to put forward another suggestion for another movie to come off? Uh, as much as I enjoyed it, and I do think it's a really superb film, um, just not horrific enough for me to consider one of the best horror movies ever made, and that is The Tenant. I would go with that as well. I think The Tenant is a fantastic thriller. I think the horror elements are there. I mean, if we were going on, you know, how to craft a story, it's definitely up there, I think. But in terms of some of the some of the movies that are surrounding it, I think it's difficult to... Ain't no Rosemary's Baby. It's a bit like when you're watching X Factor. Not that I do watch X Factor, but <laughs> I have seen auditions in, you know, at some point. You know, these guys come on and you go, yeah, it's all right, but bear in mind the winner of this has got to perform that shit in front of the Queen. <laughs> Fuck off the stage, you idiot. Like, are well, you mental? Like, the Queen's going to be watching this. Um, so yeah, like it is a it is a superb film, but when you look at it in the fact that this is potentially going to be voted the greatest horror movie of the seventies, yeah, oh, it's going to be in the top. It's 10. not a, it's not yeah. a contender, even though it's well worth watching, and I would highly recommend it. Yeah, um, and as goofy as it is, and as much as I I love it so much, and I'm actually overjoyed that you loved it when you watched it, a Doctor Black and Mister Hyde has to come off. Yeah, I mean it's it's insane. It's hilarious. <laughs> Um, it's worth a watch and I'd be really keen to get uh, an Arrow release of, of this just because it's funny man. You I'm going to keep pushing them man I'm going to keep pushing them until I get a justifiable reason which isn't we don't know who ho- holds the rights to it I may actually try and track down who holds the rights to this and, and ask him gift, yeah. it, gift it to Arrow with a bow saying let me be on the commentary for it please yeah right um <laughs> So yeah, it's, gonna be, it's, on, it's on YouTube, so there's no excuse. Yep. Um, yeah, you yeah, can watch it. It's, it. Not, it's not the greatest copy, but you, you, it's the, it's, it's it doesn't need to be, does no. it, to be fair? Yeah, but I want it. 4K. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Special edition. Seven disc collector's edition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Arrow video. Um, right, which leaves us... You want to steal? You want a Doctor Black and Mister Hyde steel book? Is what you want? I'd really do. Yeah, I do. Why can't we have the things we want? Which leaves us with five titles now. Yeah, our five titles are Burnt Offerings, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, The Omen, Carrie, and Who Can Kill a Child. Now, I I think we can get rid of one instantly and put one on the list instantly, leaving us with three. Right. Uh, Yep. Go for it. Push forward. Right. Make your make your your claim. Um, I think Who Can Kill a Child is it's a good film. Um, think uh, Children of the Corn, Cross with Lord of the Flies. 
if you like either of those two films, it is well worth watching. Um, I'd skip eight minutes in because you really don't need to be seeing poor, hor- poor, poor fucking people mm. being, being horrifically bulldozed into a grave. You, that'll stay with you. It certainly stayed with me. Um, it's not an amazing... It's not a good enough horror film to be in the final, you know, 20. Um, yeah. But, but it is worth the watch. And then I am going to go out there on a limb and say that I think The Omen... <laughs> <laughs> bold of you, Andy. <laughs> should should be on the uh, should be on, on on the definite. You know, yeah, it's it's going through. The only thing for me that holds like the Omen back is is I love Gregory Peck, but I think is that if you've never seen the Omen before, you'd go, why is he talking like a strange man? <laughs> like I'd go, what, is he all right? What's the matter with him? So help me God, I'll hit you with my ring hand, Gregory Peck. But apart from that, it's, a, it's it's just a phenomenal film. It's it's the greatest, you know, po- possessed evil child film you'll ever see. It's the greatest film dealing with, you know, Satan on Earth or trying, you know, trying to get to Earth or whatever. You know, yeah. I mean, he's, he's in it the does, scene. It does it does what the, it does what the Exorcist does, but it does it to someone younger, and I think it makes it. It's a more commercially. <sighs> accessible movie than yeah. The Exorcist The Exorcist very tonally very very heavy um, yeah. and I love it for that but this, the, this is just a great film it starts off strong it just continues continues it's iconic scene after iconic scene it's it is one it is one of the perfect movies it is one of the you know it's one of the greatest horror films ever made in my opinion so you know it's got to be in the final hasn't it yeah. I, I will say this is with diversity you. on yeah. there on, on, on X Factor, gotta go through <laughs> Ashley Banjo. I have no idea what you're talking. You're literally, you're literally, right. you're literally they're, they're literally talking like, enough like, they're, the greatest fucking, they're one of the greatest dance troops you'll ever see in your life, Duncan. Uh, right, right. They like incredible fucking break dancers and that. And the guy is basically like made a career out of choreographing and he's and he was like 20 when he came on the scene it's pretty phenomenal like rage is really into a dance so i kind of and his name's ashley banjo ashley banjo yeah. that's a terrible fucking name but he's that's the kind terrible... of guy like when you see him he, like you think he's like in his 30s and he wasn't he was about like eight, 19 20 and he was just choreographing some of the my most... wife will know who you're talking about yeah like, see if i go downstairs and see ashley banjo she'll be like oh yeah d- yeah diversity did you incredibly see? inventive like dance routine you know like like step up and all that sort of shit Oh, I hate that shit. As bad as those films are, the dancing in it is in phenomenal. And- I can't watch them. I can't. I can't watch anything that's like we need to dance to save the world. No, you don't. Um, but like <laughs> literally, some do. of the most incredible breakdowns. It's, it's acrobatics, isn't it? Basically, it's fucking acrobatics to music, and it's phenomenal. I don't know why we're fucking talking about. I don't know either. We're, we're both agreeing. <laughs> the Omen is number one. Um, right. Let's from move this year. on. Three left. Okay. Well, I, I'm saying that the Omen is number one that we agree on from this yeah. year. Um, so right. Go. Yeah. So I'm going to say, and I know you're 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 punting it, and you've you've tried. Tonally, I can't get over it, and there is nothing that you will be able to say that will remove the tonal inconsistency of the time that dreaded sundown, and I, I would put that forward to be removed. Mm. Is- <laughs> unless you want to make a case, I will let you. I will let you make your case, but unless your case is. I've been looking at it all wrong all this time and the 
tonal inconsistency is actually a genius move because blah, which I don't think you're going to be able to make. You will yeah. not convince me that this should be in the top two for this year. Not when Carrie's still in, in the running here. I, I can't come out and, and obviously say that I can't. I can offer no justification for the uh, the goofiness <laughs> and the tonal inconsistencies. However, I will say like there are certain scenes in that movie. That yeah, I, I would agree. More chilling than any other film that we've talked about tonight. Yeah. Like there's a scene where a girl is discovered by a cop tied to a tree basically tied as if she's hugging the tree you don't know how long she's been there hours could be a couple of days like she's barely alive she's got horrendous really realistic looking bite marks all over her body it's horrific and i would watch this film over the other two you know that we've got on the list if you said what's a really fucking good horror film i i can overlook how how goofy like the police are because i think the rest of it is is some of the most chilling horror that i've seen just because i think it's so based in realism and it could happen and it's and it's awful um but yeah i can't can't unfortunately offer any justification yeah i can't i I, I can't you're right, there are some scenes of violence in it that stay with you afterwards and it's just they're shot so brutal um, mm. and you can put yourself into the mindset of what would it be like to be in this position or have a loved one be in this position. I can totally agree with that. But then there's a scene with Goofy Cops driving silly and forgetting car keys and all the rest and I'm just like, why is this in this movie? Mm. Why is this in this movie? Um, if it served a purpose, I could understand... Um, but it doesn't need to be in this movie. Um, so I'm sorry, Andy, <laughs> uh, but I think you're you're kind of agreeing with me in that in the pantheon of top two movies uh, for us to kind of agree on. You're not going to change my mind on it. Okay, two to go. Right, now this is where it gets interesting because what we basically have here is we both have, we have a movie that both of us like in Burnt Offerings where we're saying it's a really, really good movie. It does what other movies try and do but this one does it you know just better it's got some powerful performances um, it's shot really really well um, some really like iconic kind of scenes of horror um, and you know the, the kind of family dynamic and the family breakdown and we're juxtaposing that with another movie which has the same sort of idea it has like I would say more iconic scenes. Um, I would say it's directed better as well. I think De Palma's a better director and I don't think I'm breaking the mould when I say that. Um, I think the family dynamic between Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie is incredible. Uh, Piper Laurie is just phenomenal. And that's the one thing I think they've never been able to do in any of the TV adaptations or remakes is get close to the mania of of the Piper Laurie character as, as the mother. I just don't think they'll ever do it. Um, it's it's got Stephen King behind it, mm-hmm. um, so we have like what we have Stephen King saying Burnt Offerings is one of his favourite horror movies, and we have you know a movie based on Stephen King's work. Um, you are cold on Carrie, but you agree pretty much to everything I say. It's just it doesn't resonate with you, um, and we both really like Burnt Offerings, and you you really like it. I really like it. But if I had to choose which one I think is better, I think Carrie's a better movie. Um, I think it's the... Carrie, to me, is the one that... If we are going just on 
if we're going on direction, it's better directed. If we're going on acting, I think it's better acted. I think mm -hmm. if we're going on impact on horror, I mean, Carrie is the movie that gives you the jump scare at the end, which is copied by Friday the 13th and then, in fact, copied by every movie in the 1980s and onwards, <laughs> uh, which is that jump scare of the hand coming out of the grave at the very end. Yeah. So basically, that one scene changes horror cinema forever after it. You know what I mean? Everyone copies that scene. Mm. It's that we need to get that one last scare. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I pretty much... I know where I'm wanting to go here, but I'm having to talk you into agreeing right. to a movie that you feel that you should love more than you do. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I do... Th I. I prefer Burnt Offerings. I think I enjoy that movie better. But is it a better movie? Probably not. I get the feeling people are like, going to be shouting now at their <laughs> iPods going. It's the equivalent of like Chainsaw Massacre not going through. <laughs> Halloween not going through. These things might happen, man. No, that's the scary thing about it. Like This is, this is the first one uh, that I've recorded because I'm recording them oh, there's no surprise to people listening I'm recording them out of order because I'm trying to do them in availability and it doesn't affect anything no. moving on they're all standalone years yeah. but there there are some shows still to record where the, the threat is real that, that there are just not enough spaces for all the movies that we want to take through um, it just can't happen and as a result you know, th there could be an obvious one uh, which doesn't go through. I don't think it's that difficult a decision on this episode. No, I think it is difficult, it... but I don't think it's as difficult as like a, you know, a Halloween, uh, a fucking, you know, like a, a like Halloween Dawn of the Dead and although I don't think Dawn of the Dead's at the same year as Halloween but if Halloween Dawn of the Dead and fucking um, Invasions of the Body Snatchers yeah, are all in the same year yeah they are the same year aren't they oh well yeah well one of them isn't going through That's and that to me that to me is brutal because all three of those movies are in my opinion masterpieces yeah. um, so when you get to that level that to me is where the you know the real sweat start kicking in and they're kind of there on this one I really do think I think we've I think we're right, Burnt Offerings is the better. This is the movie Amityville should be, but isn't. Um, and it's it's one of those ones that no one fucking ever talks about. No one ever talks about how good Burnt Offerings is, and I don't understand why. Um, yeah, and I, the think, I think again, Dave Z did it on uh, Exploding Heads, actually, and that's um, what kind of made me think about it. That's good, because like, more people need to talk about it, because it's, yeah. it's one of those little 70s movies where... It, you know, just everything works really well for it and it just, it has a tone, a presence and it sticks the ending really, really, really well. But it's up against, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight to me. You know what I mean? It's like Carrie is like the epitome of of 70s horror. It's, mm. It really, really is. It has, ah, oh man. It's, I, I just think it's phenomenal. I think it's, I think it's, I wouldn't say it's the best De Palma movie but I don't think it's far off it and that's before I start talking about how amazing the Pino Donaggio score is and you know just cinematography um, that scene in the the prom where, where you know split screen and she looks at the doors and the doors all shut and then just people get chewed the fuck up um, is amazing and then that scene where she just descends the stairs with fucking flames pouring out the back I'm just like this is fucking horror this is horror cinema right there. Um, and like I say, that ending, jump scare ending, 
Yeah, well, fuck that. I'm not into that. That's, that like, I know they probably did it first, but it, that didn't make, did it, it. it doesn't make any sense. It does make sense because it's all in her dreams. She has a nightmare about it. It makes as much sense as Jason pulling what's her face off the boat at the end. Uh, that doesn't make sense Freedom. either. I'm not saying Yeah, but I love that it. ending. You've got to love that ending, not Andy. Don't upset no, me. I don't like dream stuff. <laughs> I'm not watching Dallas. Who shot JR No One? It was a dream. Oh, well, fuck you. <laughs> anyway, I am. Um, yeah, I'm annoyed. I'm only annoyed because like I came into this knowing that it was going to be the Omen and, and Carrie, and thought, no, I don't want it to be. I don't want it to I, be obvious. I want. I want to tell you right now that the top three that I had coming into this are the top three that we ended up with. Yeah. So I always had it as burnt offerings, the Omen and Carrie. Yeah. Um, on my list, although all the other ones I have done thus far, I have come into it saying I have two or three movies that could easily occupy the second spot mm-hmm. um, this is the first year where I've been like that this is a definitive one too for me um, yeah. and it's not because I, I don't think Burnt Offerings is a great horror movie it is a great horror movie, I just think that Carrie's a masterpiece very much like The Omen, I think it is the epitome of what happens when you have a director just, it's like Spielberg doing Jaws, just everything just fits perfectly, it's like this jigsaw puzzle mm-hmm. that is difficult to see and then you like stand back a little bit and then all the pieces just make sense to fit and then when you see the overall construction of it, it's just perfect um, and that's what Carrie is to me, I think it's, like, people have heard me talk about it ad nauseum last year where I talked about it with Ricky for the best part of, I think it was like about fucking two hours. Yeah. Because um, I think it's phenomenal. Um, but I need you to see that you want it to go through as well, Andy. Or we're going to keep recording until it happens. Thing is, I've got all night. I've got to be at work tomorrow. It's kind of, it's, it, yeah, I mean, it's got to go through, hasn't it? I mean, I, you know, I said right at the beginning when we first touched on it about an hour and a half ago, like. <laughs> I pre- I know I know all these things that you're saying are true. Yeah. I'm just not that into it. But that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean it can't go through. Does it? You know, there's, there's there's other films I'm gonna talk about on the list. That I'm not really just because it's not my favourite film doesn't mean yeah. it's not the better film, and it probably is the better film. I just think burnt. I enjoy burnt offerings more. I actually yeah. enjoy Town is Ready Sundown more as well. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I mean, Carrie is the better film, isn't it? I just don't want it to go through because I don't want it to be obvious. I don't want people to log on to 1976 and go, well, it's going to be Omen and Carrie, isn't it? Obviously, yeah, it's going to be yeah. Omen and Carrie. Um, but unfortunately, it's one of those things where sometimes... Yes. the the You know, the, it's the obvious thing. It's got to happen, so... Yeah. I guess we've right. got to yeah. carry through. <laughs> so... Oh, I feel good about this one. I feel good about this one. Like at the end of 1976, we're putting through, like you see, very obvious, but there are going to be other years that are going to inflict a lot of pain on people. Um, you've got one. If, uh, if Halloween isn't isn't in the final, I'm not coming on. <laughs> <laughs> it could happen, dude. I'm telling you, the threat is real. You're coming back on for 1979, so you're doing the final episode before That's the round table, and we're not spoiling the movies for that one, but... Having looked at that one again, I don't feel as confident about a 1-2 on that one as I did on this. There's one really obvious one. Yes. But the second spot, I think, is is uh, is anyone, really. There's two or three that I think. Yeah. And I've still got a couple to watch again 
to rewatch, but there's a couple in that one that'll be difficult. And uh, yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting. But moving on from 1976 is the Omen and Carrie um, taking their positions on the on the rim table, and it's going to be oh man. It's, it's getting tense, it is getting tense. Right, Andy, um, I want to say thank you very much for giving up a bit of time. I think this is the longest episode I've recorded yet. It's, it's currently sitting at two and a half hours. What? Ow. Um, but it's two and a half hours of pure sexual joy. Oh, it is true. This is it. People are dripping right now. That's a horrible word to use, but I mean it. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, but uh, thank you very much for joining me. You will be back in a mere... What, three episodes time yep. uh, to do 1979 closing out the decade before we do the round table but before you go Andy Blockley would you like to say goodbye to my listeners yeah thanks for hanging in there I didn't realise it was two and a half hours Jesus well, it's dark <laughs> out now so it must be at half ten need to go to bed carrying the omen then here we go yeah, there we go. Who would have thought it? Everyone, apparently, but maybe right. not. I'm still expecting, like, like with all the other shows that went out thus far, I'm still expecting someone to say, I can't believe you passed up burn offerings. And we're going to put that. Dude, we loved it. We talked about it. Yep. But it's not carry. Um, and some people might be happy about that. I would not say that. Um, but did anyway. Did I pick carry? You did. No, oh, I can't really fucking moan then, can I? If I'm the one. Both, that's... both of your picks went through. If we're, yeah. if, we're, if, we're, if we're being if we're being realistic here, all of mine's were discounted. I win. And... <laughs> so... I win. Bye. <laughs> I'm taking my last break of this show. Um, when I return, I'm closing out this show, smug Andy bastard. Um, I'll be right back to close it out right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This was episode 119 as we continued our look into our summer teapots top 10 series of shows looking at the top 10 70s horror movies. This was 1976 with my guest host Andy Blockley and making its way through from 1976 representing this year none other than Brian De Palma's Carrie and the almighty The Omen carrying forward to that end list thanks again to my guest Andy Blockley for coming across and discussing some movies on this show he will be back to close out this decade actually his, his next one is 1979 now this is another double teapots week and we will continue putting out double teapots episodes every week now until we start the fantastic Baz v Halloween series of shows so um, yeah on Thursday we're dropping 1977 with my guest Doug Tilly it is an incredible discussion with some incredible movies so much content still to come and so so little time ladies and gents this has been an incredible series so far and the best is yet to come There is a multitude of ways to check out the podcast under the stairs. We always recommend that you check us out through Apple Podcasts. It's a great one-stop shop for podcasting. It's very easy to find us over there and it's easy to subscribe. And if you subscribe to our feed, you'll get the shows as and when they drop and access to an entire back catalogue of podcasts under the stairs episodes. 
please, if you are checking us out over there, take a bit of time to leave us a rating and a review. Now, the ratings are really important. If it was five stars, for example, the more of them we get, the higher up the iTunes charts we're put for people to check us out. But the, the reviews are really important. Um, I think sometimes people overlook the fact that just writing a couple of words about why you enjoy something um, has the power it actually does. And people do check out reviews quite regularly when they want to commit a sizable amount of time to listen to a podcast. So um, please leave us some kind words over there. Everything helps this show. It's free for you to do. It takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to us. You can check out the podcast under the stairs on Stitcher Smart Radio, SoundCloud. Check it out on TuneIn and also on Google Play. We have a fantastic website, tputzcast.com. At the bottom of that page, you can sign up to become part of our newsletter where there is always competitions and prizes to be won and that newsletter comes out every two to three weeks. More recently it's been three weeks and two, but yeah, they're, they're usually good fun and keep you up to date with what's happening on the show. Go to our Facebook group page. We cracked that 500 mark. It's incredible to be there. 500 fantastic members. Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cast. Go across, interact and visit the Baz on the twin prongs of social media sexiness. Instagram and Twitter both can be followed at Teapots Cast. So yeah, I will be back on Thursday with another run in this top 10 series. We're looking at 1977 with my fantastic guest, Douglas Tilly. Oh, it's going to be a good one. 77 is packing the heat. It's bringing the thunder. But until I speak to you all, ladies and gents, wherever you are in this big bad world, whatever you're up to, and whatever the time zone is, please take care of yourselves. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs, and I'm signing off.
any of the slasher movie is girls trapped in a house being stopped by a man in a mask with a knife. 